This is Power Athlete Radio. With your host, Denny Cage, Professor Booty, and the Luke Summers. And now, toes forward, hips locked, shoulders set, and retract those scapulas. It's time for some knowledge bombs. Thanks for tuning in to Power Athlete Radio. This week, we talk with the man behind the man of Sorenex. The second generation of the world-renowned strength equipment brand takes time out of his busy schedule to chat with the crew. Bert Soren is more than an MS CEO. He's also a power athlete in his own right. Bert has been a competitive Highland Games athlete and specializes in hammer throwing. Aside from his notoriety as a solid businessman and strength advocate... He's a down-to-earth dude whose idea of fun is drinking beer and doing heavy snatch bowls in his underwear. Call it unusual, but Bert calls it Wednesday night. The guys take time to chat programming, movies, personal heroes, and the excitement of meeting lifting legends in the flesh. There's talk of JT and Jessica Beal, Red Dawn, and Howie Long, all in this epic hour of conversation. We should have known this was going to be a good one when Bert explained he always cracks a beer when he knows he's about to get down and dirty on some strength and conditioning. So here it is, episode 156. Our Athlete Nation, what is up? It's that time again, the premier podcast in strength and conditioning. There's no podcast like it. Based off of our feedback, we need more structure. We have to stop talking. We should just shut the doors down. We should mute our microphones. No, so, yeah, we did. We got some feedback from the uh, McDougal podcast we did, and the guy thought that you know all we should do is just ask him questions because mm-hmm. he's a McDougal fan. That's all he wanted to hear. So what did we do? I forwarded him a link for the Super Troopers, where it's like how uh, they uh, <laughs> again when they get the syrup in them, they get all fancy and they're fancy. Yeah. <laughs> did he reply back? Yeah, uh, yeah. Like, he's well, like, great he's video like, great clip. clip. I'm like, here. Uh, like, Honestly, it's free. It's like the people that like complain about free shit. I'm like, it's not like we're charging you for admission. Uh, and we are supposed to be having a conversation. Where, yeah. You know, it's just not one-sided. Because I've like, listened to those cop podcasts and they're just not, oh, fuck. Well, you know, but it could be worse. It could be like Barbell Shrugged where uh, they talk the whole time and the guest <laughs> doesn't get a word in edgewise. Sorry, Barbell Shrugged. Um, <laughs> but hopefully we can actually you know, get some good information, be funny, and, and you know, Contribute to the conversation, not just dominate the fucking landscape. In, they call that infotainment, John. Infotainment. What is? Who calls that? What is that? Define <laughs> immediately. Simpsons quote. Information that's also entertaining. Ah, gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. <laughs> All right, so here's what we got going on the show today. Uh, we have our guest, Bert Soren, on the, on the horn. I guess uh, he and Tex saw each other at the CSCCACSCA or whatever it was, Tex? Nailed it. NTX. 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 So uh, we're, we've been trying to get him on the show. I'm glad we could uh, finally find a time to get to chat. But Tex, why don't you give a little intro on kind of what went down, how you crossed paths, and then we'll get Bert going. Uh, so what this was, it was a national convention for strength and conditioning coaches. So coaches that were involved at the collegiate level. Uh, I took their certification, and then after that, it was just two days of meet and greet, hangout, network, and uh, Sorenex was there just kind of putting on a show. Guys were banging weights. They were hanging out, shaking hands, and uh, just took that opportunity to walk up and meet the man, the myth, the legend. Uh, so 
Bert, I actually met you a few years back at University of Texas uh, when you enlisted free labor from the interns to put together all the Erector Set Connect uh, Sornex equipment for the Olympic weightlifting uh, weight room. So you yeah. about 12. Yeah, I have a, uh, a sniffer for free labor, so that worked out good. Yeah, so <laughs> I'm still waiting on that check, buddy, whenever <laughs> get that chance. But when well, we do, text, on your deathbed, you'll receive eternal, eternal consciousness. So you got that going for you. And we'll receive some separate cells or something, you know. Yeah, I mean, you know. Of course, we'll, of course. Well, we'll <laughs> Tex actually likes the really, really small center mass bells. Mm -hmm. Why It's kind of like the DK burger. Like, oh, for his little like, hands. Yeah, for his little hands. <laughs> right. So, he, you know, those actual little mini mini center bells, <laughs> they're good. <laughs> yeah, they have varied uses, but whatever, you know. Yeah, Bert, I mean, what if, here's what I'd like, here's, maybe we get a, to know a little bit about you, just give us the little five-minute deal, but then also, if there's a soul out there who's, you know, maybe only knows of one equipment provider, like a Rogue well, or a well, Get no. Faster, well, here's the problem. tell us about Sorenex. Is a lot of people listening to this podcast are, you know, familiar with, you know, fairly inexpensive type stuff, but when you go into, you know, legitimate NFL, college, collegiate, you know, big-time mm -hmm. type programs that have unlimited budgets, there's only one person they call the Sornex. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's pretty good. I mean, fuck, I, I mean, I, I guess you could either outfit garage gyms or out this fucking palaces that are dedicated to strength conditioning and, you know, single like two ball squats. The Mecca. The Mecca. So Bert, give us a little background. Well, I appreciate the commercial thus far. That's been awesome. And <laughs> no, but um, background on me and, uh, and my company and, and really I hate to even use the term company, but I guess you got to go to work at some point. Um, first of all, thanks for, for having me on the show. It's, it's really, I'm, I'm really looking forward to this. Um, my father started the company in 1980 and it was basically because he couldn't find any good equipment out there that, that met his standards. So he was, he's been a lifter his whole life. He was an Olympic lifter back in the sixties. And, uh, then a, a discus thrower was the, basically the highest recruited discus thrower in the nation that year, which was crazy because it was the same year as, uh, Mac Wilkins. So he and Mac were coming out roughly around the same time. And uh, Pops went to South Carolina, not because he wanted to go to college, because he wanted to throw and lift weights. And he heard they had good hunting down here. So he's like, oh, sweet. I can go shoot deer. Awesome. I'll come. And uh, didn't really know much about it. Got down here and um, kept lifting. Was actually kind of the first strength and conditioning coach at university. As he was a, a lifter that came, when he came down, everyone said, to get muscle bound if you lift, 1968 kind of deal. And so he borrowed a car and drove back up to New Jersey and picked up his, his York barbell sets and brought them back down and taught everyone how to Olympic lift and squat and built the first weight room at the university out of wood. He's a freshman. And so that kind of started off in the trajectory um, that, that that's eventually turned into Sornex. And uh, 1980, he kind of made an honest living of it and, and uh, bought a, uh, a little welder and started in our garage laying on the carport and cutting apart steel and, and making it happen. So fast forward 36 years, um, we still keep the lights on and put food on the table and a bunch of Super Bowl champions train on our stuff. So it's a good it's a good deal. And I get to talk with people like you, I get to train and um, get to try to train, change the, the world of strength and the world of performance. Um, it's honestly, it, it sounds really cliche to say, oh, I get to do this as a job, it's so what? No, it really is. Like I get to really actually do what I love to do, and every couple of weeks I get paid for it. It's pretty weird. 
you know, when it comes to like the strength training and strength training equipment, uh, I kind of look at it like a car, right? Uh, like when we walked into that Newport Harbor gym and it was all rusty, grungy plates. And wait, like wait, it you, wasn't much. You look at the car. Wait, bear, like, bear with me. So wait, you're just going to wait. Bear with me. Yes, that's what I'm getting at. Okay, right. uh, is you can get strong and lift weights in like a grimy gym. And there's so, like, there's character to that. Cause it gets you from point A to point B. And then there's like the mid range Ultima where you're like, fuck, why the fuck am I buying Ultima? <laughs> I mean, you get to rip around in like a really nice fucking whip, you know, like, yeah. a, like a, like a Dodge, 80, a Dodge stealth. <laughs> I was going to say like an 86 K five blazer. <laughs> or just like a nice, yes. you know, it's like, that is the, uh, that is the equivalent of like training on like Sorenex with like really nice fucking equipment. It's like, you fucking Thank enjoy you. it. Well, there, I, 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 like my barometer for, uh, for equipment is like, if you go to rack the bar with, you know, let's say you got five, 600 pounds on it, you go to rack it. And as you fucking dump it into the hooks, the whole fucking thing shakes. And you're like, you know, have that split second. Like, I hope this thing doesn't fucking fold like a taco. <laughs> uh, and then there's other things like, uh, obviously the sore stuff where you like, you know, go to like rack it with a, you know, whatever you have on there, let's say five, 600 pounds. And uh, it doesn't even chip to the stuff. Uh-huh. And then you're like, oh, all right. And then you look around and there's like 20 people all doing the same thing. Uh, yeah, yeah. Well, everything everything works with crappy stuff right like if you if, if you're going light i should say going light or, or every once in a while your stuff from sears is going to work and that's what yeah. people have to realize that <laughs> you know people go oh 400 pound bench this will hold it like yeah we'll do that all day long yeah. with athletes all day long that are million dollar athletes you can't get them hurt they have to get the highest the highest sport rate of force development they have to be the safest they have to and those are all a bunch of dudes that like cool stuff too. Yeah. You know, they're the guys that they want to walk into a weight room and go, Oh yeah, this is what I want. I mean, this looks like my car outside. And, and what we've, we've seen now, it's really an arms race in the colleges, not so much the pros because they're paying those guys. You, you know how that works, John. Um, but the, but the, uh, the colleges it's, that's really how they're, they're selling these 18 year old kids that want everything blinged out and pimped out. And we're doing stuff to racks that, does it make them a better rack to get strong? I don't know. But if you could pull the best kid in the nation to come to your school, it was worth whatever it cost, right? Well, I, I was uh, went down and uh, saw Kaz and those guys down at Baylor this summer. And uh, Keith Canton, who's uh, now the head guy for Indiana, he was one of the assistants. Sure. Me down. I went out working the offensive line, hung out with him a little bit. And, you know, you walk in and, like, I hadn't been in, like, a proper, proper weight room in a long time. Yeah. And I walked yeah. in and I was like, Fuck, they got a lot of wasted money up in this motherfucker. I mean, <laughs> they must have had like, you know, 12 pit sharks and not a single fucking person was using them. So I went over there and loaded that thing up and was just doing some like walks and some waddles and some stomps. And these dudes are like, what are you doing? I'm like, you guys even use this? And they're like, no. I'm like, fuck, these things are fucking <laughs> epic. You can dance, you can do pull ups. And I'm like, showing them how to sure. use them. Like, people are coming over and they're like, wow, they got excited. But I mean, just the, uh, like, they had tendos on every station. And it's like, I yeah. think that people lose perspective. On, um, you know, and it, it's true. I mean, you know, like these guys are building these weight rooms, like you said, to, to attract these young recruits. I mean, they walk in and they want to see, I mean, these weight rooms. Well, I mean, class. Well, yeah. Aztecs, I mean, uh, uh, you know, you walk into Texas's weight room and it's the nicest weight room that produces the weakest fucking athletes. Uh, I played with Texas guys and not a single one of them could lift my dick on a fucking, on their best day. And yet they got an amazing weight room. So, uh, you know, but like, but that's what people want. I mean, these guys have endowments, they got budgets. And like you said, dude, you're in an arms race. They want everything color coded. And these strength coaches, like I I sat in Kaz's meeting where they were going over their new facility and everything. And like, they were just like, 
Kaz is like, we have a budget and we have to spend every dollar. Any money right. that we don't spend, they're going to be Yeah, we don't get back. Yeah, yeah, yeah we, we don't get, we got to spend it all. And he asked me, he's like, what do you think? I was like, I think you should get some crowd chambers. I think you should get this. I mean, I'd get a fucking trapeze out back, maybe a live shark. And he's like, yeah, 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 these ideas, these ideas. I mean, but yeah, so I mean, that's, uh, I can only imagine uh, being in your situation where you have like a, you know, the school obviously had, that has a probably a, a 10 figure endowment that comes in. It's like, we have to spend a couple, let's say $20 million to upgrade our weight room. What can you do for us? And you're like, yes, let's go. Oh, well, yes, it's definitely the answer. But the the problem then becomes, how do you make it better than the last time? You know, um, we did Auburn's new facility. It's like 24 base camp racks, better than we've ever done. Uber rack, every, I mean, each rack, one was orange with blue accents. The next one was blue with orange accents. I mean, it was crazy. Every single rack had a lap pull low row on the back and a functional cable column on the back. They had 10 sets of dumbbells between 100 and 150. I mean, it was, it was absolutely nuts. We what was the heaviest dumbbell they went up to? to 150. Them? Well, they had, they, had some, uh, they had some hand loadable um, one's bigger than that, but the, the 150s were like the urethane coated, engraved with the logo, the whole nine. Oh, uh, like the, the energy drinks? Yeah, yeah. So, so we go straight. I did the delivery like Friday and Saturday. I'm driving home on Sunday. I'm in the car. Penn State calls. Hey, I saw pictures of, of, uh, of, of Auburn. I said, yeah, they're pretty sweet, huh? They're like, can you be up here Tuesday? We got a budget. I drove, uh, we flew up to, to, to uh, Penn State on Tuesday. Walked in the meeting, AD, the whole nine, everyone's there. It was just right after the Joe Pye era, and they were like, hey, we got to change this place up. And the conversation, we, we, we drew up the room, quoted the room, figured everything out within about six hours, and the deposit was put down two days later, and the only thing was whatever Auburn did, make it better. I said, it's only 48 hours old. That was the best we could do. They're like, figure it out. you got eight weeks. Did you, uh, did, did you make some off-color comments? Like, hey, I'm not trying to hear the Sandusky you or anything. <laughs> you know exactly the direction I went. Really, really professional. Perfect. Way to, way to win friends and influence people. Hey, uh, dude, it's Dale Carnegie. I, I know all about I, I have uh, uh, Tom Canavy and Mike Wolf, uh, who are our strength coaches at Philly. Uh, we're Penn State guys, and dude, I uh, fucking ripped on them nonstop, especially like Canadian. I kept hitting them up. I'm like, dude, so, so like level with me. He's like, ah, oh, you know, I never wanted to open up about any of this stuff. So I always make wise ass comments about it. But yeah, I'm of course sure you did. It it, Bert, the equipment allows for a lot of creative freedom from the coaches. So right. you encourage them to come back to you with ideas that you then turn around and sell. Right. Well, that's part of what I think we do better than anyone in the industry. And I think kind of a, something we pioneered was the rack or rig that is customizable by the customer. We were the, we were the first ones to, to do that, which basically changed the game and made where, you know, we did custom equipment for 25 years before that and a lot of other companies did as well. But the rack and rig system made where each customer could actually be the 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 orchestrator of their custom gear. So by doing that, we've created kind of like an, an iPhone where then you just buy extra apps for your phone after that. And so that it, maybe people that are just getting into the CrossFit world or the strength world in the last seven or eight years thinks that racks and rigs always existed like that. And that's how they were. But obviously you guys have been around longer than that. And prior to 2007, 2008, there was no such thing as a CrossFit rig 
that was something I drew up half drunk at a out to out to dinner one night on a bar on a bar napkin. Like, yeah, that was you had, the, um, you had pillars. I mean, I, I remember uh, when I opened my own little downstairs, we had the Iron Mind pillars that sure. were, were really just dip fucking bars that that we had attachments, and that's what we used for the right. Iron Mind pillars. And I remember like squatting 600 pounds out of these things and like you're loading it up and you're like, is this thing going to fucking fold? And people are like, oh, yeah. all oh, those pillars. Probably good. Good. Those Bulgarians are strong. Yeah. <laughs> I, I mean, but, but, but like that was, uh, the irony is, and uh, you know, you guys listening, I mean, Bert and I are going to date ourselves. Like if you wanted legit stuff, uh, really it was iron mine was the only place. Mm-hmm. Cause there was really no rogue. There was no CrossFit. Uh, sure. you know, and if you're going to open a garage gym, I mean, you know, that's uh, it. Yeah, I mean, that was basically yeah. the only mail order. I mean, unless you went to a Sornex and you had them come out and build a custom deal. But if you yeah, needed, sure. I needed a rack that was movable, it, it was Iron Mine. That was it. Yeah, Iron Mine, little, little catalog, you know, great magazine. You know, that was, that was the standard of excellence of, of power sports. I mean, gosh, you, you know, you, you know it as well as I do. I mean, I have every article or every Iron Mine issue ever printed. Yeah. And, uh, you know, that was, that used to be the, the, the gold standard like if you got into milo you were doing something you know well, and, and that's, two that's other how posters. i what's that we we still have two other posters we have the uh, uh a clean poster and then we also have yeah. one, just the uh, uh back sort of lifters is bi- bicep sort of bodybuilders one where the dude's got perfect that look like giant erectors yeah yeah <laughs> that's a great one i used to always like the um the shannon hartnett weight ever bar picture too that was always really cool because you know you figure 15 years ago, there weren't any, a lot of girls that had quads like that. It was just, you could see the triple extension. And uh, I've coached a lot of people off that poster. Um, but that's, that's beside the point. You're like, oh, dude, my, my strength coach in college, Todd Rice, uh, used to sure. coach pictures. Yeah, fucking Rice Patty. He used to, uh, he, he had pictures of uh, people like, you know, full extension. And him sure. about, like his only, uh, uh, he used to take several points of the picture. And his only cue was, I need you to pull the bar longer. Yeah, exactly. That was it. I, I remember being like, it, it, "It's that simple." He's like, "Yeah, don't listen to any nonsense. Just pull yeah. longer than you ever think you had to, and all that other shit will take care of itself." And then apply force longer. Yeah, because yeah. it's pretty, pretty much what it boils down to. Yeah, we, we, have, we have pictures. Yes, yeah, so in my dorm room, I've had a picture of Pizarenko doing that uh, that snatch pull with about uh, it was a little over two hundred kilos off the I've bench. Had, that's since night. Yeah, sure. Yeah. The one where he's in the sweet speedos. Oh yeah, no, that's that's good. Um, yeah, that's I, I secretly think that's every strength athlete's dream is to yes. uh, one day be able to train in like a pair of like wool speed like speedo underwear and a, <laughs> like some crappy fucking dress socks and have people take a picture forty years later and still be like, "Fuck, that was awesome." But hey, <laughs> that dude is so fucking jacked and has such a great mustache. <laughs> oh, that well, it's kind of a funny story. So, so you know, we grew up fantasizing about that. So I got a chance to meet uh, Pizarenko in 1995 at the um, the year right before the trials. That was super cool. The guy looked like he just walked off the platform. Still like super scary, you know the whole deal. So fast forward 10 years, uh, we opened uh, one of our one of our store next gems that was like our home base. At the time, my dad was actually home. He had he had prostate cancer. He had a surgery, so he was you know kind of off off the radar for a while, healing up. So I was working like you know all day running Sornex. I would go home. They, they cut off our, our internet because of the, we had moved our building. So I was having to like do all my emails from the kitchen in my dad's house. And I would run Sornex all day by the phone. 
And then I'd go there to the gym at night and like put up drywall and move all this. It was just like one of those six months of hell. Just don't know where you are just by yourself, just going, holy crap. So the day we moved into the gym, finally, um, I took the chalk bucket that was hooked onto our platform and I dumped the chalk out. I put a bunch of ice in it and I put beer in there and I, I stripped down to all I had on was my socks, my Olympic shoes and my underwear. And I put 140 kilos on the bar and I told my buddy, I said, I'm going to drink this beer and I'm going to snatch, I'm going to do snatch pulls, triples at 140 K until I puke in the parking lot in my underwear. And people were like, why are you doing that? I was like, cause it's my gym and I've always wanted to do this. And in my mind, I was Pizzarenko that day and it was fantastic. Nice. Did you just go to like uh, burn a cork and like cork on a real fucking manly mustache or did you already have <laughs> yeah, no, the facial hair? No, I didn't have a sweet mustache at that point, but. You know, in, in that mirror, I did. You know, the mirror in front of the, in front of the platform, man, I was jacked, and uh, I had a sweet stash. But um, now I look back and think I'm a complete moron. But we're <laughs> uh, You know what? It's, uh, it's those small moments in life that give you perspective on all the other bullshit. You know, when, yeah. <laughs> when you were talking about, you know, like the hell, I was like, oh, kind of like having twin daughters, which was probably one of the darkest moments of my life. <laughs> Right, right. <laughs> exactly. Uh, my friend Morgan Luttrell, uh, Marcus's twin brother, we were hanging out uh, in CSCCA, and we were talking about kids, and he has a, he has a young boy, and um, I just had my, my, third, my third kid, my son, Kodiak, uh, five weeks ago, so I'm kind of still in that haze right now, and Morgan was talking about how his kid was colic, colicky for like weeks and weeks and weeks. And how uh, he was outside just raking the gravel one day, just because he thought he was so so beside himself and so crazy. But he was just outside, just just mowing and raking gravel. And the lady walks by his house, and she's like, "I know you want to kill the kid, but don't seriously." <laughs> and it was like, "Yeah, I could see that." Oh uh, <laughs> so, yeah, the uh, yeah the the colicky baby. Uh, I, I actually we we had a little boy uh, exactly eight weeks today. So he, oh right on oh, yeah yes we had a little boy. After I had twin Good girls, uh, uh, yeah. Congratulations to you too. And um, hey, man, you're a glutton for punishment, aren't you? Well, we we had twin girls, and my wife was like, you know, uh, we got to have another one. I'm like, no, no, no. no. She's <laughs> like, worst idea ever. Well, yeah. She she's like, I can't believe that being a parent is like this. It was such a fucking awful experience to have because I mean, like, they both ate every three hours, so we didn't sleep yeah. like any but for like 45 minutes for like three months, and it's just like so much super fun. anabolic. It, it was terrible. I mean, I, I got gray hair. I had none before that. And uh, all of a sudden, my wife's like, you know, uh, um, you know, we got to try it again. It, it's got to be a better experience. And I'm like, fuck, we're gonna have another girl. And so sure enough, my wife gets pregnant and like she comes back and I like was fully waiting. She's like, they say it's a boy. And I was like, I'm not buying it not until I see him come out. And sure enough, we had a little <laughs> and he is, if we had had a boy uh, first off, we probably had we. I, I would have had about five or six of them if we could have geared exactly because about yeah. five boys is equal to about one girl. So right, I, no doubt. Right. Uh, yeah, it's just. But yeah, no, I'm I'm rating the haze too. We were I was supposed to be here at six a.m. this morning, and I uh, I would uh, he was up till like midnight, and he was up at two, and then I got up five something uh, when my alarm went off, and I set the alarm. I checked on him, and I was like, I'm just gonna lay down for like five minutes. And then all of a sudden I get a text at like 6.30, like, where the fuck are you? I'm like, dude, I don't know what the fuck happened. It's been like two minutes since I laid down. <laughs> well, what's great about it, like when, uh, when John came in, he's like, you know, it's, I, it, it's a boy. 
And I'm like, oh, you know, congratulations. And like, how do you know? And he's like, oh, well, you know, we got the tests, the blood tests or something. I go, how accurate are those tests? He's like, I don't know, like pretty accurate. So yeah. you Google it, it's like 99.9. I'm like, there's still 0.1%, bro. I'm like, don't pop the <laughs> joke yet. <laughs> At least it's not twins, right? You're like, definitely not oh, twins. Oh, fuck, dude. That twin thing was like out the gate. Was, uh, mm-hmm. it, was, it was something special. So like whenever I meet people, like, oh, we're having, oh, it's so wonderful. We would have loved to have twins. I'm like, no. You really wouldn't have. No, yeah. It's fucking, dude. Yeah, my poor wife, dude. She, uh, it almost killed her. She, uh, she breastfed those girls exclusively for the first six months, and uh, she like dwindled. Like I remember, like like it just sucked her life force around, and then she got like a, a sinus infection every three weeks for like the next two years. And like I remember her being like, "I'm so tired." I'm like, "Yeah, you fucking kids suck your life force away." <laughs> God damn it, the fucking selfish little bastards. But it's uh, oh, yeah. It's a great experience. I'm not trying to turn anybody off from having kids, but it's... Oh, uh, no, having kids. Oh, and girls, if you're listening, yeah, right. yeah. 10 years down the road, you're lovely. You're lovely. <laughs> yeah. Oh. yeah. I'm really looking forward. Like, my, my oldest is four, so, like, four to 10 is going to be awesome. So, I finally got to the point where I like my kids. I mean, I, you know, where you don't just love them, you actually start liking them. And and so, like, one is just kind of tipped over that, that uh, threshold into the liking standpoint, which is pretty awesome. But, uh, yeah, it's, it, it seems like a whole lot of work for just a couple of years of really enjoying them before they turn into teenagers. Yeah, the, uh, you know, my daughters are four and a half. And, uh, like, sometimes I think they're four and a half going on 16. Uh, oh, wow. And, like, it's, it's – but but the problem is there's two of them. So, like, they kind of fuck oh. up with each other. And it's like – and then they uh, – <laughs> my niece is seven or eight. And so they go over and play with her. So, like, it's just – it's nonstop. Like, I, I told my wife, I'm like, if – we we have to like move to the middle of nowhere where there's like no team in the winter and nothing yeah. like, like like somewhere in the middle of nowhere where we can like put up a log cabin and try to raise them like settlers or something without fucking yeah <laughs> so Bert, I'm gonna bridge gap here because we're on kids yeah. maybe people who don't have kids are like fuck fast forward yeah this now let's sucks but let's keep talking here because I know John and I have talked at length like the plan we have for his son uh, in terms of like development. You know, and we've yeah, got this multi-year template. Have you have you thought about that? Like, where do you see your kids going in terms of like sports, <laughs> competition, training? I mean, I'm sure you're not trying to push them towards anything, but like, how no. are you holding? You know? Well, I, well, I'll give you a little bit of a background. So, my dad obviously it was about into the iron game as you could possibly get. Like, for instance, there's pictures I have of him in like six and seven years old going to kindergarten or first grade. And literally brought his barbell set with him to school for show and tell. And they asked, you know, bring your favorite thing to school. And they thought that he would like bring a little doll or whatever. And the dude like like put his barbell on his shoulder as a six year old and took it to school. And uh, you know, he's sixty six this year. And he talked to me the other day. He's like, Bert, I think I'm, I, I think the uh, the deadlift is going to be kind of hard this year. And just to kind of fill the blank. He's deadlifted five hundred pounds since the time he was fifteen years old. And he's done it every year. This will be the 50th year he's deadlifted 500 or more. Wow. So to, to be in it that long and to care about it that long, like that's the physical aspect of it is like, wow, that's really impressive. You're 65, 66 years old and you can deadlift 500 pounds. The other part is to be interested in anything at a pretty darn high level. You know, quarter, quarter ton deadlift is, is, you know, you're awake for sure. To do that for 50 freaking years, like I've seen dudes train and they're like in it seven or eight years, like, yeah, I'm kind of burned out. I'm like, 
wearing out, man. I threw for 20 straight years. Mm-hmm. Like, what the heck are you talking about? Like, you're not even good yet if it's been six or seven years. Well, I, anyway, I also, that, I, I also believe that, uh, and that this is purely uh, just hoping, is I, like I read an interview where The Rock was talking about he got in the best shape of his life at 43. Mm-hmm. So, like, I right. certainly believe that like, I still, away, I, I want it. Yeah. No, well, no, I when still secretly believe like, that, that, like, I'm still waiting to hit my peak, that my peak sure. is still out there. If oh, the Rock yeah. did the best shape of his life at 43, then, like, I haven't peaked yet. There. Right. So, <laughs> right. I'm still waiting to peak. Sure. Hey, my dad hit his biggest lifts at 49. He, uh, he front squatted 475 for a double at 49 years old, which is pretty crazy being 6'5". Um, but anyway, so going back to that, so like when I was a kid, um, you know, I would always have, he'd, he'd make me little barbells and things like that, like out of wooden dowels and all this stuff. And I, I have pictures of me, you know, doing jerks all when I'm like five, which, you know, now with the advent of CrossFit isn't like crazy, but in 1980, that wasn't very common. And uh, so, so kind of like that was one of those things, but also there's been kind of a, a tongue, not when he's call it a joke, it's more of a challenge that you're not a soren male until you could deadlift double body weight. So I think the first time I ever did it, I weighed 56 pounds and I deadlifted 112 <laughs> and literally went the next day to school. And it was one of those right about your favorite moment of your life. And I remember <laughs> standing in front of the class. And I think now like the people, the teachers must have just wanted to turn my dad in at this point. No, like, I, 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 I <laughs> completely different. No, and, and, and I'll tell you the, the perspective and why it's a different generation. First grade, uh, Halloween, I went as a terrorist and I was wearing, yes! hats. I had pantyhose <laughs> over my face and I had uh, a fake gun, a pistol in my, in my pants. And I had like a fake, like AK 47 Uzi looking thing. And my teacher laughed and thought oh, it was hilarious. Terrorist costume. Yeah, and I was like, they were like, what are you? I'm like, I'm, I'm a terrorist. Pantyhose over my face and guns and a block. That's now, fantastic. That now, they're out like in this oh. and would be called, you'd be banned, parents would be arrested. Sure, sure, CNN. I got patted on the head, so completely different. They probably thought it was great. uh, Boys will be boys. Yeah, boys will be boys. Wants to lift weights. Yeah, Yeah. and I was like, and then my favorite moment of my life is when I surpassed my PR of 110 and I made 112 for double body weight. You know? (laughs) (laughs) I feel like, when I look back, I'm like, I must just feel like Ralphie standing up there like a complete weirdo. That's awesome. (laughs) But but so, like, going going into it, like, for my kid, um, I just know going, growing up around Sornex and growing up around me and my friends, because most of my friends are in the Iron Game, and my dad pops, like, He's going to be inundated in it enough. His uh, his his mom is from a big family. Like my brother-in-law is you know, six seven two ninety, and so he's going to be a big dude regardless. So I just realize it's going to happen. I'm I kind of joke people like you're going to have him be a thrower. I'm like no, absolutely not. You know, absolutely not. Like a, a thrower also is super fun is really a whole lot of work to do something really really technically that pays like hundreds of dollars if you're like really good. A hundred? Hundreds. I mean, they're hundreds of dollars. You might be able to get one Soranex plate. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. There's no way if I I was a professional hammer thrower, I could have never bought my gear. (laughs) So, no, I've joked. I was, you know, obviously football or, you know, part of me thinks baseball would be pretty sweet to hit the long ball. And uh, you could do it for a long time, but I don't know. It's it's unfortunate that the stuff that I love generally doesn't pay very well. 
Yeah, the, the baseball thing I kind of wrestle with because it's not really a sport. But, like, you know, Nate, who's, like, Mr. Fucking Baseball, the guy we train with in the morning, I mean, he's got all the stats of, like, you get paid. It is the sport that gets paid the most oh, per I, hour I fucking per game, agree. If, best if, benefits. If you're, yeah, well, the NFL is terrible for benefits, terrible for pay, and they don't take care of their players. And the minute that you walk away, they pretty much wish you would just fucking die. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, uh, you know, I mean, it's it really is the, the NFL. most fun sport you could ever play. I mean, I just right. Fucking baseball, like, oh, it's so yeah. That's the business person inside me says baseball, but I still have a, a hard time thinking of my kid just standing around. Although, I mean, again, it's really cool. I guess being a thrower, I like seeing stuff go far, and so I still have a fantasy about the long ball, right? Yeah. You know? And uh, but besides that, I think the rest of it would drive me crazy. You know, in high school, I don't know how it was for you guys, but I just don't remember a lot of the baseball guys picking up a bunch of chicks. Hmm. Yeah. Well, I'll tell you, the throwers pick up less. And that's, <laughs> and that's, that's a fact. <laughs> well, I thought, uh, I thought uh, aren't the throwers usually always hanging out with, like, the track girls? Like, I always remember the track girls. Well, we're trying. We're trying. It doesn't mean <laughs> that's, that's called practice, John. They're just I, I, Well, I, ironically, I dated a girl that was a 400-meter runner, so she ran the 400 and the 800, and oddly enough, she didn't date any other track guys so, or track guys. So Yeah, yeah. yeah see? And you were the so, football player. I was, and I was a football player. Yeah. Well, I, I allegedly played for the Lions when I was uh, a thrower, and why I say that is because we went out to a bar one night, and all of us, you know, we are pretty large at the time. And these girls, pretty hot girls, going through store like, "Hey, what do you guys do? Do you play football?" And of course, trying to be honest, I'm like, "No, we throw." And they're like, "What do you mean?" And they're like, "I throw the hammer." And this other guy was like, "You know, three-time Olympians." Like, I throw the shot, and they go, "Oh!" And they walked off. <laughs> and so after that, my buddy looks at me. He's like, "Dude, we got we got to play football." I was like, "Well, who do we play for?" He goes. Uh, we play for the Lions. No one knows who plays for them. <laughs> that's actually pretty true. I, uh, uh, <laughs> yeah. That's actually true. I, I, I was, dude, <laughs> I, I was in Vegas uh, with a bunch of guys, and uh, we were sitting there at, at like some some place, and um, this girl like comes over and is talking with us, and she's like, "Oh, there are these other football players here." And we're like, "Oh, really? Well, uh, oh, cool." Yeah, like didn't really think of it. And so like, the girl brought them over, and uh, the guys like walk over and see us. And, like, she's like, oh, they play football, too. And, like, one of my buddies kind of, like, gives, like, the Spock eyebrow because he realizes that these dudes don't play football. <laughs> and, uh, and the guy was like, oh, where, where do you play? The guy's like, oh, I, I play the tackle for the Giants. And, like, uh, they look and like kind of look over. And I was like, oh, yeah, what's your name? You know, because it's such a small community, dude. I know exactly sure. where my division. I know who, who plays. And the guy said, and I was like, huh, really? Because we played you twice, so I didn't see you. Where are you going to practice? You know, and, uh, like, you can see, like, the guy's completely back back oh, 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 oh. <laughs> And like, and I like <laughs> basically using a lie to pick up on the girls, and so uh, you know, perfect. Yeah, I was, like, well, I, I, was I was hopefully that story wasn't going to mean that you and I met in Vegas, and I was playing for the Lions at the time. Like, <laughs> 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 so, glad that worked out the way. It did. Well, the uh, the irony of that is, I don't even think the Lions players uh, tell people they play for the Lions. <laughs> they, they say they're shotguns, hammer throwers, and they're they're lying about paying for other teams. So people and like. Anybody who's like, oh, I play for the Lions, I'm like, really? There's no yeah, there's no way. Play for the Lions. <laughs> oh, that's great. That's funny. You should have been a professional wrestler. That would have been a good one. <laughs> yeah, that would have been pretty sweet. That was right in the Stone Cold Goldberg era. 
Oh, and, yeah, um, dude. Yeah, those, that was when, when wrestlers were killing it, man. Now you're talking about Luke's air over here. You're going to get a fucking well, twinkle in his eye. So I was – I told you I went. I was home the past week, and we had to clean out a whole bunch of stuff in my old bedroom, which is really just storage room. And uh, my mom has saved all of our VHS tapes that we would, like, always watch as kids. And one of them was I had recorded – I used to record WCW or WWE, and it was the first time Goldberg actually spoke. No. Because if you don't remember, Goldberg was like, came out, he was this hero, and he never talked. Run off, boom, finish him, spear him, and get out. Boom, yeah. My dad and I loved Goldberg, and uh, and we we freaking taped it. I still have that tape. That's awesome. Uh, Goldberg was basically a reincarnation of, of Nikita Koloff. With the uh, Russian iron sickle from the 80s, if you remember that, John. Big traps, big butt. Dude. Fizarenko, uh, basically. Yeah, uh, dude. Well, they, uh, the irony is uh, when I was uh, obviously a fan of that, and when I went to the NFL, I was buddies with Jake Glazer, and we went out. Uh, he, we, I, I went out to the Barrett-Jackson, and Jay was like, oh, you can stay at my house, and Goldberg was there, too. And I stayed at awesome. house. Just me and Goldberg. Goldberg. And so Gold, Goldberg and I are cruising around, like, hanging out the whole weekend at, uh, <laughs> at That's the and he, Is he, like, in WWE? No, 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 no. No, he retired. Like, he, he does car stuff. But, yeah, uh, yeah. It was pretty epic. Like, I remember we were sitting at, like, uh, Glazer's uh, kitchen, like, island. And he was talking to me about, you know, like, uh, like not only, like, the, the business, but, like, when he was training. And, like, he's like, man, he goes – he, I was like, dude, you were in fucking phenomenal shape. He's like, yeah. He goes, it was fucking hard. I'm like, why? He's like, dude, I, I, uh, I was having to eat like seven or eight thousand calories a day. And he goes, man, he goes, it was just like a full time job. And like the heart, like he's like, uh, wasn't talking about the wrestling being hard. He's like, honestly, he goes, people talk about wrestling being hard. Uh, never fucking played football at a high level. He goes, dude, he goes, honestly, it was like, uh, you know, you warm up, you run out there, you get out. He's like, it's not that fucking hard. He goes, people make it sound. He goes, the worst part is to travel. But he goes, it was sure. the food. And he goes, having to source that much fucking food to mm. stay that big and that mean. So Yeah, gosh, because man, he was he was an amazing specimen for that that period of time. Um, just just amazing. Talking about an, an island in the uh, in the kitchen, kind of another stupid story. Uh, 2002, 2003, um, Howie Long called me and wanted me to put a weight room in his house for his kid, Chris, uh, back when he was like 16 years old. So Howie, oh, have you have you met Howie? Great dude. Yeah. yeah super, yeah. super, I mean, just talk about his specimen, right? So he's like, hey, just, you know, come over and help me out. And, you know, we'll put a little stuff in. So Howie himself is like helping me carry pallets in his house and put together this equipment. This is, this is awesome. So I'm training for the trials at that time. And, you know, he's like, oh, what do you do? We, we kind of start rapping about training and athletics and stuff. Somehow we get on the, the, the conversation about jumping, right? So I have a pretty good vertical jump, especially when I was younger. And, uh, and I, I would have this kind of shtick where I could jump pretty much onto just about anything that was humanly possible to jump onto. And I would use it all the time for free drinks and bars because we would kind of rope it up some people and I'd stand around and we did the whole big drinking thing and I would jump on the bar. Well, so I'm telling Howie this at stories. And so he gets all fired up. And so we're in his kitchen. He's, his wife is making the sandwiches and, and uh, lemonade. He's like, you think he could jump on the island in my, uh, in my kitchen, this is like high, you know, like marble kind of deal. Like, yeah, I could jump up there. He's like, do it. I'm like, I'm not going to jump on your, your island in your kitchen with my shoes on. He's like, come on, do it, do it. I'm like, all right, fine. So I jump up there and he's like, yeah, that was awesome. And then so he starts to do it. And his wife, he and his wife almost get in a fight 
in the kitchen because he had to prove to me that he could do it and she wouldn't let him because he was a bit older and then so this this goes back and forth and then finally she you know he relents and like you know she's like she wins and as we're walking out of the room he looks at me like a little kid he goes i could have done it <laughs> it was awesome it was so awesome seeing like just that that still that competitor inside of him he was so pissed off that he didn't get to show me his toys where uh, where was he living didn't he live down in virginia or something yeah he was in charlottesville he's right there uh right near university of virginia yeah, yeah, I remember he moved out there after he uh, uh, left the Raiders. But no, I, I dude, I, I grew up in LA and was a Raiders fan, and uh, I remember watching Howie Long play. And uh, still to this day, I believe he's probably one of the best uh, sure. ever to play. I mean, there, I like when you know, I I was fortunate I got to play what I view as like kind of the golden era of football uh, before it kind of got neutered the way it is now. Um, but there were some guys that I really wanted to play against. I mean, I would have loved to have played against Reggie White. I just, you know, kind of missed him. I mean, you know, he retired in 2000. And, uh, you know, my first year was 99, so I didn't really get a chance to play him. I mean, Howie's another one. So, I mean, there were some guys that were, you know, I mean, because as, as an athlete or playing football, uh, the only way you can really ever measure yourself is against the best players. I mean, sure. you know, they, they love to do that. You know, like I was just on Facebook and – the NFL had a deal where is uh, Ray Lewis the best defensive player in the last 20 years? And um, I'd like, look at that shit. And I, of course, I was like, fuck this. And I went on a comment and I was like, are you guys fucking trolling? Because this is bullshit. Ray Lewis is not the fucking best player in the last 20 years. I wouldn't even list him as the best middle linebacker in the last 20 years. Uh, but that's because I love playing against Ray because Ray never wanted to hit an offensive lineman. He only wants <laughs> to hit a fucking running back and run around and fucking dance before the game. Uh, but you know what? Like, Howie was one of those guys that, I mean, did his get off was so sick. He had the ability, and, and I know what he did. He watched the quarterback, and the minute that he saw the quarterback's hit move, he fucking moved. And um, he just, you know, those guys were unbelievable. So uh, seeing his kids play, and they're all pretty good players, but uh, unfortunately, and I think it was one son's an offensive lineman. I think he just mm-hmm. signed with uh, – He used uh, to be on the Bears. He's played for the Bears, but I think he just signed somewhere. The Rams maybe he's at or something. And then the other kid. But, uh, Kyle and Chris. I mean, the hard part, though, is, I mean, and, you know, and we're saying this, but both of his fucking sons play in the NFL, but, like, <laughs> there's, there's guys that play in the NFL, and then there's guys like Howie Long that sit, right. and, you know, like, to play at that level when, mm-hmm. you know, fuck, dude, he's, he's phenomenal. Yeah, yeah, he interviewed me years ago when I was, uh, when he was doing, uh, uh, you know, obviously his commenting thing, but he would actually go in and, and do, like, kind of the breakout media stuff, and he interviewed me, and I remember I was sitting there, and it was like, I'm a big fan of yours. And, uh, you know, and, I, and he kind of told kind me. Of he was gonna, I was like, yeah, a little bit. I mean, he was one of those guys. Well, that, tell me long, dude. Yeah. I, I think I was in my second year, and he's in there asking me about all this stuff. And I'm like, I can't believe fucking Howie Long's asking me these questions. Mm-hmm. So that was kind right, of. That's cool. Yeah, that, that was one of the cool deals. And then, uh, you know, I always tell these guys the other big welcome to the NFL moment was when uh, Junior Seau ran past me like I was standing still and then jogged back and patted me on the butt and told me, don't worry, you'll get him next time, little guy, or something. <laughs> Like fucking, like you know, like kicking a uh, you know fucking rock across the field. So, Bert, let's go. I want to go back kind of on the same subject. So you went to Holly Long's spot and put out, I'm sure, this bitching little like private gym for his kids. I mean, most of like the buildouts we hear about are these big schools, big time, you know, big time programs coming in. What are some of the? And maybe you don't want to name names or, but like, what are some of the craziest private spaces you've put together? Uh, well, Gus Brooks has bought from us twice. Um, he bought from us back in 92, 93 when he was, when he was really popping. And then I think you probably remember he got divorced. So I think he kind of lost that in the settlement. So he had to get another weight room. Um, 
So that was pretty cool. Yeah, yeah, he wasn't really too worried about it. Um, uh, Justin Timberlake, he uh, he and Jessica have our stuff in uh, base camp rack in our in their house, which I really appreciate. A guy that's you know not known to be a big dude or you know known you know he's kind of a more actor entertainer and um, friends with his strength coach, and he was like, "Yeah, man, Justin loves doing snatch pulls." I'm like, respect. I love it. Get, get that's my guy Timbo. Timbo. That's my guy Timbo. I thought you were going to say that he doesn't use it. Uh, Jessica Alba used or uh, Jessica Beal. Yeah, yeah, because she was in pretty good shape. I mean, in that you know, right? Yeah, uh, I now pronounce you Chuck and Larry. Right, right, and then and she was like he trained her. Yeah. Right, and that's because he trained her like a sprinter, which is you know goes right back into you know what you guys are all about. But he, she yeah. was one of the first actresses that wasn't trained like an actress. Yeah, and, no, um, she she looked great. That's why I was thought you were gonna say oh. used it. I can't really see Justin Timberlake uh, fucking banging weights. I mean, not to say I like he doesn't, but I never really. Like, yeah, I, 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 I have faith. Surprised. I have faith. I was surprised, but that was something that it really made me feel good inside to know that that uh, there were some Hollywooders and some uh, entertainers that were actually getting good gear and banging weight. And there was. Uh, uh, do they live out in LA? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Actually, uh, a friend of mine, Jason Walsh, um, who who runs uh, Rise Movement over there on Melrose, uh, okay. he trains a bunch of those guys, and uh, yeah, he he does some personal training for them, and he's he's trained those guys for seven or eight years, wow. and um, yeah, they're they're right out there in L.A. man, but dang, they killed it. And uh, so, do you know, Bert? Do you know what uh, Timberlake's putting on that bar for those snatch poles? I don't. I, I really. I wish I send did. out a text. Um, Let's figure that out. Let's see what Timbo's. <laughs> dude, I, I'm thinking like no more than forty kilos. No, he's a hundred kilo guy. For no. snatch <laughs> I bet you. I bet you fucking uh, the underwear that Bert was wearing when he fucking did those snatch poles and fucking threw up that he. Doesn't, <laughs> he didn't fucking one forty. All right, fine. Text. Hey, tweet at Timberlake. Let's find out what his snatch pole is. Uh, just be like, yo, Timberlake, what do you deadlift? Right. I love it. I'll I love it. This. We'll see what happens. I mean, what? He only has, what, like seven or ten million followers? So I'm totally sure he'll get the power <laughs> athlete fucking <laughs> yeah, He's like, oh, sweet. Someone finally asked. Awesome. Well, they be like, oh, well, The Rock tweeted at him. So I guess I don't know. Dude, The well. Rock did tweet at us. What do you got about that? Oh, John, us. I got the, I got the celebrity tweet back magic. So I'll, I'll take the hand here. I know. I, even though I wasn't involved in that tweet, I feel like it's like a we, it's like a group effort. Yeah. That tweet. Right, right. So, I mean, Bert, to give you a little background, uh, Tex and I were on a flight to Argentina for a cert uh, across a football seminar, and we watched all rock movies on the way down. And then, like, tweeted him that we were doing, uh, like, some incline dumbbell pressing, uh, bridging off of, a uh, like, a tractor tire. And it's like, what would The Rock do in Argentina after watching six rock movies? And it was like smash some dumbbell incline press and then he just tweeted back at us like five se- five minutes later he's like get it <laughs> yeah win <laughs> and, uh, so we fucking printed out the tweet and we have it framed on our wall of frame and <laughs> your, your office is exactly like ours yeah yeah that's so funny the simple well, things are a riot if you can see back here uh on the wall we have a, like I, I went to this charity gig uh, might be small, but yeah, like I, I went to this charity gig and um, they had like a big live auction, and unfortunately, it was open bar, and I got fucking shit faced. Uh, shocker, and it's not really unfortunate, but go yeah, ahead. It was, well, bar, well the unfortunate part was uh, the purchases. Well, like all of a sudden, I went around and I realized that there were some really killer pieces 
that people weren't bidding on, and I was fucking pissed about it. Like, uh, you can spot, I have, like, the David Bowie, Ziggy Stardust autograph. I got, like, nice. Aussie Swan over here, and then I got another Black Sabbath. Nobody was bidding on them. And uh, so I fully, like, write these outrageous amounts and, like, bid on all this crazy shit. And I remember I come home, and I had it all, and I was like, what the fuck am I going to do with this? And so my wife had them in the garage, because that's where you put all the stupid shit that you buy that your wife doesn't want you to put up. And then yep. into the office, and that's then we right. get to look at them every day. Perfect. Sounds like a win. That's awesome. Hey, I got a question for you. What's your favorite movie? Oh, dude. I mean, honestly, right now, what's on top of my mind is Super Troopers from that YouTube oh, thing we watched. Gosh, we love Super Troopers. Yeah, um, that's a hard one to beat. All time? That's a hard one. Uh, I mean, I, I'd probably have to go with, like, Caddyshack. Yeah. Yeah. Just, yeah. Uh, you know, I, I think Caddy, Caddyshack and Fletch. I, I have this theory that if you watch those movies enough, you can actually develop a sense of humor because, yes. uh, you know, like that'll actually teach you about timing, how to be funny. Um, sure. and, and if you don't know how to be funny, just fucking steal those lines and you can probably make it through. So, uh, <laughs> just, just integrate those into conversation every once in a while. Like, no, 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 no. And you're like, Hey, man, that's hilarious. Yeah. All the, all the time. It's like, how do you measure yourself against other golfers? Well, by height. I mean, just like right. totally <laughs> one liners, uh, at the seminar, we tend to use a lot of Fast and Furious. Uh-huh. Uh, that's really dominated our landscape for a long time. That, gotcha. Yeah, a lot of Super Troopers. I mean, I, I've been trying to sneak some Ghostbusters original in there. Ooh, so. Okay. Okay. How about you, like how about you Bert? What are you thinking? What's on top of your head right now? Uh, I don't know. Like, there's, there's, I don't even know if I'll call it my favorite movies, but they're ones that, you know, if you're flipping through on a Saturday and you're, you're like, ah, oh, crap, this is on. Well, there goes two hours. And, and uh, I've always loved Red Dawn, the original. Yeah. Like, oh, yeah. Uh, I mean, you know, I mean, I prefer to those. That, that just gets me. That's I, I will cry every time watching Red Dawn. I've yeah, he and his brother on the swings. Yeah, or, yeah or, he and Maddie. Come on, man. Like, that's man stuff. It's the, uh, I call that the fucking Shawshank Redemption. Yeah, Shawshank. Um, where, there you go. Where, where it's like, uh, no matter where you are in the movie, if you turn it on, you see it, you're like, I'm not going anywhere. I'm watching Shawshank Redemption. Yep. I, yep. I, did a, I, I did a seminar. We uh, we flew into LA and I, I, I drove home. I got home about midnight and I like just sat down and I like turned on the TV and like, you know, wife, kids, everything. And all of a sudden I see like the opening fucking scene of the bus pulling in with Andy Dufresne. And I'm like, I, 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 <laughs> really up and I like cracked the beer. I like got some chips out and all of a sudden at like 1.30, I see my wife come like walking out. She's like, are you still up? I'm like, yeah, Shawshank Redemption's on. She yeah, did, come on, he's on my side. Drink all those beers. I'm like, yeah, <laughs> yeah, sure did. Yeah. I ordered stuff off QVC. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> picture in picture. Yeah, no, don't worry, dude. I, I yeah, I got a pizza coming. It'll be fine. No, it was. Uh, <laughs> that's the that's the Shawshank Redemption yeah, I, deal. Texan, I, I text. We I've had to have been in a hotel at a cert. Like we'll come back after dinner on Saturday and just flip through and then there you go fucking amc shawshank i'm like son of a bitch and texas like yep. oh, God. just rolls over and i'm up there fucking watching no good old red and andy it's the best sure sure or even you throw a forest gump same thing happens you're like oh man bubba's about to die crap here we go yeah. uh, yeah. as soon as you see that like the the feather floating you're like all right what am i doing for a couple hours yeah. nothing <laughs> yeah right i <laughs> uh, love it yeah that's that's the good stuff man yeah, I'm big. Uh, also, Predator, like the just the yeah. Predator, yeah. big sure thing. And then uh, sure also, thing. I appreciate it more than I did as a kid. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. What, what was the uh, God? One of my other, and, and I, I know you've seen this. You probably actually have it on VHS or DVD. But what was the 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 crazy ass training movie with Ricky Bruch? 
wow, the soul is greater than the world. Oh my God. Like to me, um, I, yes, I don't really know. Like, uh, you know, other than, you know, obviously you are like Matt and a couple of the thrower guys that I've met over the years. Uh, but to me, uh, that is like the epitome of not only training, throwing yes. compulsive insanity. You, you know, Never. Uh, yes. So Ricky Bruce was a, uh, he was a well, Best watch. Yeah. He was a, a thrower from Finland, Sweden, Sweden, Sweden. And they came and they filmed uh, a movie of his training uh, that is by far the most insane thing I've ever seen. Yeah. Uh, it's probably on YouTube. It's uh, like at one There's parts and pieces of it on YouTube, but you really got to appreciate it. Get dark room with all your big thrower buddies or lifter buddies, buy a bunch of food, a lot of beer, and don't go anywhere and read subtitles on it. Dude. It's <laughs> awesome. four and a half stars on Amazon. And I- it's. They price it at 32 bucks. I have the movie. Uh, I, I'm pretty sure I have it somewhere on either my computer or this one at home. And I sat and watched it one night. Uh, like, there's a scene where he's, uh, I think he's doing push jerks in, like, this fucking gym. Yeah. And, and he basically <laughs> throws the bar up. And it's fucking heavy. I mean, it might be, like, 160, 180 kilos. He throws it up, and it goes through the fucking ceiling. And the whole ceiling, like, the lights, everything comes down. And he's so fucking, like wired up on like you know uh drugs everything okay yeah i mean like every steroid and upper downer all around or shit that you fucking can find and like he's fucking kicking the bar and like screaming um it's impressive it's intense. <laughs> it's amazing yeah, yeah it shows you get muscle biopsies he was, he yeah. was uh bench pressing on that uh that alico pneumatic machine it like yeah. runs us up to 300 kilos and his yeah. face explodes and blood starts flying out that was great it's a fantastic uh, movie he, he's also training because you know like the darkness in sweden like it's dark for you know it's and he's like it's basically like him running in the snow he's wearing like a wool sweater and like, yeah. and then he's training in this fucking wool sweater. It is, it's like late seventies, early eighties, just insanity of this movie. And so, like, whatever I think of throwers, I'm always like, oh, oh yeah, yeah. In in 1995, one of the uh, Canadian throwers brought that back for us, and I was like a sophomore or something. And that literally, basically, we had a rotation. It was uh, the Ricky Bruce movie and Full Metal Jacket. And uh, Tombstone, we're like on a three-night rotation, and, <laughs> and, it, and it completely makes me understand why I'm the way I am now in life, and why I threw the way I threw. Which literally, I remember being just so fired up and pissed off, pulling clumps of my hair out in between throws. I was so mad, and I look back and I'm like, "What a freaking weirdo! What a psycho!" And I'm like, "All right, I watch Ricky Bruce and Full Metal Jacket every night." <laughs> yeah, <laughs> makes sense. You get toned down with Tombstone. Where did you go to school? <laughs> South Carolina. Oh, you went to South Carolina. My, um, yeah. my uh, so I, uh, I went to Berkeley, and my roommate, my freshman year, uh, was this super highly touted um, center. I mean, he was a fucking all world. Like that. I think he was the top center that year in in the U.S. and decides to go to Berkeley, and so they they pair me up with a roommate. So he had like a like probably about a 10 inch by 12 or 12 inch by 12 inch like cube TV. Remember they had like a VHS mm-hmm. like TV yeah. one. So he had that and he had uh, uh, two movies. He had Rodney Dangerfield's uh, Back to School and he had Top Gun. Yes. And okay. those are the only two movies he had. So he set it up in the living room and I would get up in the morning. I'd go get some to eat, uh, get on my bike, go to class. And he would like go eat and then he'd go back to the room and he would just start fucking smoking pot and get high as a fucking motherfucker and watch those two movies. And so I knew 
how far along he was based on where the movies are. And to this day, I've probably seen those movies collectively <laughs> a few other times. Like, the entire all he watched. And like, so I, I know wherever you are in the movie, you can drop me in. I'll basically go word for word on the end of it. And he would just sit there and I'd walk in. I'll be like, back to school. And I'd sit down and watch it with him. He'd get high. And um, <laughs> he never went to class. And uh, that's what he did. So it was. Uh, that's what he did. It was pretty good. Great. Yeah, yeah well, I get it, man. Yeah, uh, oddly enough, he didn't really make much of himself. <laughs> no class, just watching two movies. <laughs> On a 12 He diet of weed and Rodney Dangerfield. Imagine that. <laughs> yeah, he, uh, I, I remember one day he uh, uh, somehow, I don't know where he got it, but he came back with this like seven foot bong. And he was like, <laughs> he's like, hey, dude. And like, he was like, you know, I've been waiting for you to come home. I'm like, why? He's like, well, I, I can't reach and light it. And I was like, <laughs> So I was like, this fucking guy. So I remember I bought him a match light, like a real long match light. Uh-huh. I was like, here you go. You don't need me anymore. You can fucking rip your mask. We don't have to be friends anymore. Oh, he was the worst, dude. He was, he, uh, he, he didn't really shower. He didn't ever do his laundry. Uh, he just like, such a bad roommate. And at that point I was like, I'll never have a roommate again. So that was the last roommate. Yeah, well, there you go. That sounds like a pretty bitching dude. Oh yeah, he's a great guy. Uh, not, uh, but yeah, no, that was that was uh, you know. But shit, it sounds like we went to college right about the exact same time. So I yeah uh, yeah I graduated in '99. Um, yeah, from South Carolina. Yeah, no, yeah, dude. My yeah, I graduated in uh, well, I graduated from college in '98, and then I did my masters, and my first year in the NFL was '99. So gotcha. Yeah. Oh yeah. So and we're like take Take us through a journey here. So you, you grew up in that, in, you know, the iron game, your old man slinging iron around. And then as you took this thing into being a thrower, did you change up your training? Did you have any influencers outside of your old man? Like, how did you yeah, sure did. as an athlete? What, what were those moments? Okay. Well, I guess really how I got on to South Carolina, I'll, I'll keep this story rather short, um, but it's a pretty good story. So I, I came to South Carolina. I was going to go to Appalachian State because I, I wanted just to basically lift some weights, um, chase chase chicks, and go like rock climbing and like kind of like I wouldn't say a hippie, but more like like a wilderness dude. So like my mindset was like snowboarding, camping, hunting, all that. So I ended up going to South Carolina for a semester just because I had screwed off and didn't get my application in time at App State. So I go to South Carolina. Um, I drink for like the first six or seven days and just ride my mountain bike around chasing chicks completely, you know, doing that thing. So like five days or six days into, I call my dad and I'm like, Hey man, I need to t- get a lift in. Didn't you do the weight room down at South Carolina? And he's like, yeah. I said, could you call the guys down there, the coach and see if I could get a lift? He's like, sure. Calls me back said, Hey, you know, they, they said you could come like at five or six o'clock after all the athletes have left. And uh, you know, I said, okay, fine. Well, of course, I'm like 17. I forget what he said. And so I just get bored and I'm like, all right. So I just go on down there. Well, I show up. And, and if you've been in a college scenario before, you realize how ridiculous. I show up at like two o'clock in the afternoon, the first week of school, when every freshman literally at the whole university is in the same weight room. So I just cruise in and I go over the platform. I start doing some cleans and I'm kind of walking around like, this is kind of bitching. You know, I just got this sweet weight room. I didn't have to ask anyone. I'm just going to do my thing. And uh, so I'll look over and they're doing these, these vertical jumps. I'm like, man, that looks cool. I've never got to do that. So I walk over and the guy's like, oh, what's your name? And I'm thinking, okay, I got to, I'm, I'm interested enough in this to figure out I want to get this tested, but I don't want to like actually have to do anything. So I asked the guy, it's like, uh, so I tell him my name, he measures my height, all the crap. 
I hit it 29 and a half. He's like, hey, that's pretty good. I'm like, okay, thanks. I walk back over and keep doing cleans. And so a little while later, they're doing body fat testing. I'm like, that looks cool too. So I'm interested in all this. I walk over and I'm like, hey, if you're getting free body fat readings, I'm down. So walk over and got to take into account this time I'm six, two and a half, 172 pounds. Not exactly a brute, you know. So walk up, pull up my shirt. The guy goes to do the calipers. And uh, he said, okay, what sport? And I'm like, oh, crap. You know, I'm, I'm kind of found out. Like, I got to go back and do my thing. Um, I said, well, uh, uh, kind of stumble around. I said, well, I'm thinking about being a thrower uh, in, in, the, in the spring. I'm going to walk on. He's like, really? And he said, well, how far did you throw? I was like, well, I wasn't very good. You know, and he said, well, how far? And I said, like, you know, 45 feet and 132 in the disc. And he was like, yeah, that's not very good. And he kind of started busting my balls. He was like, that's not very good. I was like, yeah, I know. I know it's not good. I, I told you it wasn't. He goes, well, I'll see you tomorrow. I'm, I'm Larry Judge. I'm the throws coach at University of South Carolina. And I'm like, oh, crap. You know, I basically kind of lied to the wrong guy, the one guy on campus that could call me on it, right? Yeah, right. So, so, so I'm like, oh, okay. So I, and I said, well, coach, okay, cool, man. Well, isn't this spring sport? And he's like, son, you're in college now. It's year-round. I'm like, oh, okay. So I said, well, I'll try to make it. He goes, no, if you're going to be on the team, you will make it. So I'm like, fine. So I go back to the dorm room. I call my dad. I was like, hey, uh, took that work. I was like, how'd it go? I was like, I think I'm on the track team now. And he's like, what? I'm like, I don't know, man. And I was like, he goes, what are you going to do? I said, I'll go out and see what it's all about, and I'll try. So uh, went out there, and, uh, you know, fast forward, uh, Larry Judge. I didn't realize I was walking on to one of the best throws programs in the nation. We already had two Olympians on the team, multiple All-Americans. I'd never met an All-American, much less knew what they were. And um, so basically got on the team, worked my ass off. And five years later, I was four-time All-American, team captain, SEC champion, and then went on to throw five years professionally. So kind of kind of crazy how it works when you, you find someone that will actually believe in you and pushes you really, really, really hard. And Larry Judge was that guy that, that uh, told me I could actually be good and but basically busted my butt every day to try to run me off and um and it didn't work so i ended up getting good so then what was what would you say that uh that attributed to was it your your did he, was he able to improve upon your technical abilities do you think sure. that with like a, a higher base level of strength lifting weights as a kid yeah yeah i think i, I was wired I'm, I'm genetically pretty wired for sound um but he was able to put 30 pounds on me between august and and Christmas the first year, basically through a lot of heavy squats and just he moved my hang clean from a hang clean to the floor and just used a lot more muscle. Of course, I was growing up and uh, just really immersing. He immersed me in a group of people that were all all just just boiling for success. And I'd never been around that in, the, in, in my sport, you know, in throws. So I just kind of kind of limped through the whole deal and didn't even know those things were out there. So, but when I got a taste of it and realized that, oh, these, these people that I'm hanging out with every day, they're going to this thing called the Olympics and in, in this next summer in Atlanta, that sounds awesome. I want to do that one day. And it was, it was almost like I tell people my, my athletic career that most people get that excitement that they start when they're like in T-ball and they're like little kid, you know, Pop Warner League. I had all of that excitement going into college sports. So all through 18 to 22, I was like the super annoying kid that trained really, really, really hard and tried to do everything right and try to do all the extra workouts because I was still so excited about it because I, I just 
every day it was intoxicating because I got stronger and bigger and better every single day. Like I'd go like an entire season and a PR most every meet because I was just loving it and I was just really learning. So, you know, I have to thank my parents for, for good genetics, but then I have to thank great training partners and a, and a great system that, uh, that basically gave me a chance to stick around when they certainly shouldn't have, because I really, really sucked getting there. I mean, there's no reason they should have kept me on the team. Um, but a couple of them, I guess, saw something in me. So that's kind of how that worked. You had your sport coach who was also in control of all the strength training too? Yeah. Yeah. That was kind of the funny part was um, our throws coach. He was, and he still speaks to this day at a lot of NSCAs and stuff like that. He's a, he's a fantastic weight room coach. And it just so happened again through pure luck that the one guy I would introduce myself to inadvertently turned out to be the sports coach and a weightlifting coach. And uh, he, he trained the crap out of us, man. We had one day, now these aren't the lowest squats in the world, but one day we had four women squat 405 for five on our team. You know, that's pretty freaking solid for mid nineties um, chicks that, you know, you don't see that every day. And we had a multitude of, of throwers, girls that were snatching 200 pounds, benching 225 for six, seven, eight reps. Um, you know, that, those are strong girls. And, and, we kind of had a, you know, if you weren't cleaning over 140 K, which was still pretty heavy back then as a male, it was like, you weren't even trying on our team. So we had a very, very strong team. He believed in get us fundamentals and then just get brutally strong. And uh, that's where I learned a lot of what I now know, or that was the basis of my power production training and learning, learning how to really triple extend, pull really long, push really hard through the floor, the rate of force development. Um, and that's that's where all that came from is those early days with Larry Judge. So then is that the training that you – or the training style or practice you just kind of continued past college as you went into kind of the other other sports that you hit? Yeah. Well, after after Judge, I had Mike Sargent for a while. And then, um, and then I don't know if you've heard of Judd Logan. He was a four-time Olympian and a hammer throw who was uh, – he was actually – I believe it might have been Charles Poliquin's first thrower, Olympian thrower back in the eighties. And so I was getting workouts from Judd through the early two thousands. And that really opened my mind up to time under tension and doing some contrast training. And uh, we were trying a lot of that stuff out, but a lot of stuff would almost be considered triphasic training. Now um, I was getting programmed and doing that. And so as you well know, being a student of any event that you're interested in, I'm sure you did it as well, John and, and, and Luke and Tex, like, much like you're doing now, you're, you're, you're trying to deconstruct greatness and find out how this all works. So burning a ton of gas, driving everywhere I possibly could, train with every great group I could train with. If, if someone was going to the Olympics or winning nationals, I was on their doorstep trying to learn from them. I'd, I'd, I'd pay for dinner, I'd pay for beers, and I would stick around on Sundays and we would go train and we would travel you know, everywhere together. And so I was able to travel and train with guys like Adam Nelson, Reese Hopper, Bro Greer, um, Brad Snyder, you know, some, some of the, if you're a thrower, you know, these names, John Godina, um, and, and basically just immersed myself in that and just chased greatness until I was in that pack. And that, that's what I think people have to realize. Like that was before YouTube, man, that was before blogs and podcasts. And the old days was you got your ass in the car, you drove, wherever you needed to drive, you hung out and you, you just picked people's brains and you tried the stuff the next day and you screwed it up and you screwed it up for a couple months. And then you went back and got your ass kicked and you tried it again. 
and then 10 years later, you're pretty good at it. Imagine that. I mean, it's, like it's, it's such a crazy idea that if you really wanted to learn something, that you actually physically had to leave your mom's basement. Make an effort. And make an effort to go and learn it that you just merely can't shoot an email to info. Nah, see, I'll just Google it. I'll uh, Bert, I, I'll Google that for you. Oh, fuck, dude. I, um, uh, part of the love-hate relationship I have with what I do right now is uh, I love working with people and helping them, and the other part I really hate is working with people and helping them. Uh, <laughs> a email, and actually, I'm going to pull it up and read it just because I figured you would love this. So I got an email. Which one is it? The 15-year-old? Yeah, from the 15-year-old. So I got an email from a 15-year-old kid today who said, uh, his name's Jerry, uh, and said, uh, hi, I'm Jerry. I'm currently 15 years old and a sophomore in high school. I'm currently in a slight of a dilemma, and I want your opinion. I want to play football this year for my school, but at the same time, I want to focus on building my body and starting to get tone to my muscles. I want to do CrossFit football and that, but I don't know how to balance them both. What are your thoughts? Thank you for reading this. Mm. He's polite. Well, he's very, very, very nice kid, but here's the problem. Sure. Like, like, you know, I started like, and, and dude, you guys have heard this, I'm sure people have heard me. I started banging weights because my older brothers were big and strong. And they told me, I, you know, if I want to be cool, I had to play football. So you show up to go play football and there's a weight room and I go lift weights and everybody was stronger than me. And I fucking was humiliated that I was weak. And at that point, I was like, I'm going to get fucking strong. So you know what? If I got to do this, and I really didn't have a goal other than I just didn't want to be the weakest person in the weight room. Yeah, but see, yes. also back then, like, what were the advertisements to, at a 14-year-old kid? Like, I, you know, I, well, well, we think, talk about these bullshit images well, of vanity, well, like, think, that kids are just chasing now. Well, but, but so, like, like Bert, thank God I have somebody that actually knows what I'm talking about, but there was no internet. I mean, there was no, like, uh... Well, there's still like commercials. Well, they, I mean, yeah. After-school specials about well, jocks beating up uh, their girlfriends. Well, well I, I, I was telling Luke that there was, um, like, on TV, we'd come home, and, like, you know, you watch TV after school before my mom would yell at us, and then we would fucking leave, because if not, we had to help. But I remember one time, there was these after-school specials that were, like, supposed to be educational, and one of them was, like, this jock guy who was, like, trying to go out for the football team, and he starts taking steroids, and then he like uh, gets bigger and stronger, and then he's having rage. And he like beats up his girlfriend, and it was like remember that. So that that was the one, and there was another one about the kid who like goes to a party and has like a beer, and then the next scene is like him stealing beers out of his parents' fridge, and then the next one, he's, <laughs> like he's in a gurney at the hospital. He like it was like in three days, uh, which is <laughs> yeah. Like I wish I saw that one. Right, right. So like. But, but like, like there really wasn't uh, like any type of like vanity or, or really like kind of programming for it. My only, uh, I guess, like my like, like there there was one, and, and I, I remember it clear as day. Uh, the day I decided like that I was gonna like uh, lift weights, we were at the beach. Oddly enough, you know, grow up here, and I was at Junior Lifeguards, and I was probably like twelve or thirteen, and there was a, a program that they've had in California forever. And it's basically during the summer, uh, you know, kids, and I think I started when I was nine, it's like a, a lifeguard prep program. And you go down, you like, you know, basically train to be a lifeguard. And then when you turn like 18, you take the test. But I was think I was maybe like 12 or 13. I was getting ready to go to high school and we we're at the beach. And I remember we were doing like uh, the CPR deal, uh, like on like the, the CPR dummies. And one of my buddies was like, dude, you got to come see this. You got to come see this. And so like, we were all watching and we went over to the boardwalk 
and Lyle Alzado was walking down the boardwalk in a pair of shorts and a fucking tank, like like a homemade t-shirt where he had like cut it himself. Yeah. Uh, He was walking and his chest was so fucking big that he could have put a Coke can on top of his chest and it would have like comfortably because it like came out like a shelf so big. And this dude was literally just walking down with like, I don't know, I I think he was with like a a blonde chick. And uh, we were just like this. Like saw him go by. People were fucking parting the sea and like staring at him. And like Alzado had to be 300 plus pounds. I mean, was fucking massive. And then we sat there and we like followed him. And there was like, um, from where the beach is to the top, uh, like where the parking lot is, is probably about a hundred yard, 125 yard ramp. And it's pretty fucking steep. Like when we were kids, like it was, we had to rest like five times. Uh, and he fucking ran that ramp, ran up and came back down and ran the ramp like five or 10 times. I remember being like, that was the first time I'd really ever seen anybody that looked like Lala, like anybody with muscles. Mm-hmm. I mean, just because you, wow. you saw it. And, uh, and then uh, that next year, I guess would be my eighth grade year, Chris Shell, who was Art Shell's son, uh, went to my school and we became friends and I got to go to the Raiders games. And um, I got to go in the locker room and I got to like meet Howie Long and I got to, uh, you know, Lala Zato and all, or, and like uh, Bob Golick and I got to see these <laughs> dudes. And, like, it was really, like, I remember thinking to myself, like, oh, I don't know what these guys are doing, but I want to look like that. These yeah, guys are I want that, so, yeah. And, and, like, so that was really, like, my, uh, uh, like, entrance into it. And then, shit, I went to high school and was, like, I was banging some weights. But, I mean, yeah, like, I, I can only, like, fucking imagine as a 15-year-old kid with the internet, with all this other bullshit, Instagram, social media, all these other things. I mean, uh, like... And just the skewed reality of what's important. Like, sure. I look back at what the fuck I thought was important then, and, like, you're so easily influenced as a stupid young male. Like, well, it's embarrassing. Well, no, but, but, but yeah. like, like, so Bird, Bird had a pretty good fucking go of it in that his dad was, like, already into it and was like, hey, this is how it's going to go. I told my dad, and you're going to laugh at this. I, I told <laughs> my dad, I said, Dad, I, I want to lift weights, uh, and I want to get a gym membership. And my dad's like that's fucking stupid. It's just counting to 10 over and over again. That's never going to fucking take you anywhere. Mm-hmm. <laughs> completely dismissed it. Yeah. Cause and, it's fives. I mean, right. You're well, supposed to right. Do no, do 10. No, 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 he said you count to 10 over and over I know, again. I know. Okay. So he tells me that. And I, I remember, um, when do they, they heard the story too. Uh, like a couple of years before I, uh, I, I used to be a real fast runner and then I grew and I was kind of uncoordinated. And I remember telling my mom, I was like pretty upset. I was like, dude, I, I I'm not as fast as I used to be. Like there is there somebody that can like we can find to teach me how to run. And my mom's like, Oh, that's a pretty good idea. And so she asked my dad, my dad's like, we're not wasting any fucking money on that. And he blew her off. So then when the gym membership thing happened, I remember my mom was like, uh, I asked my mom, I was kind of bummed. And she's like, don't worry about it. Like all like whatever it was like fucking 24 hour fitness. I'll give you like the $9 to go do it. So my mom would drive me to the gym and then I would, I, so I would lift weights uh, at school and then I would, she'd pick me up and then drive me to the gym and I would lift weights. And, uh, cause I mean, that's what every 13, 14 year old kid should do is train twice a day. Yeah, and, then, sure. <laughs> and then that's kind of what like, and then thank God. And then I, I, and then that's when I met George Zangus the next year was, uh, and if I had met Zangus, I would have been completely off the fucking reservation. And, um, so yeah, they'll be training Zangus' garage, but, uh, you know, so for like guys like me, who's, you know, parents were never into it i mean mm-hmm. you know so to actually have somebody like bird's dad who had equipment and knew what the fuck he was doing or like even be able to you know for you to see it which is uh 
is pretty amazing. Like uh, people love to shit on CrossFit and it's pretty amazing that people do. And I, uh, the one thing which I will say CrossFit has done is it has done more to get barbells in people's hands than any single person other than Schwarzenegger in terms of training. Um, and and you, you made a great point pre 2008. And I, I like to talk about like the gym and the training pre CrossFit opposed to post CrossFit. And it's usually post 708. So I had to drive an hour up to Carson, which is, as Luke knows, can be anywhere from 45 minutes to fucking three hours, depending on LA traffic. I had to drive up there just to find a training facility, which was at the Home Depot Center, where Athletes Performance was, a place I could Olympic lift and actually train, because there was zero places in Orange County. There was one, like, in South County, about 20 or 30 minutes away that I could Olympic lift, but there was no platforms, nothing. And, uh, you know, and nobody was doing any form of athletic training. So now, post-CrossFit, I mean, fuck, we could find 50 places within a square mile here to go fucking mm-hmm. Olympic lift. Oh, yeah. Yeah, and, when, uh, when I was coming up, yeah, you knew every dude in the 50-mile radius that knew how to clean. You knew all of them because you've all trained together. Yeah. And you know, you, uh, now I look around and go, there's, like, there's a CrossFit on every corner. Like, I knew one – I mean, there's, like, two guys in Columbia, South Carolina, almost a million people, two dudes that could clean over 315 15 years ago. Like now, every CrossFit has at least a couple guys that could do that, you know. It's it, but it's awesome that, that that the whole bar has been moved up. But gosh, like people just don't realize how good they have it for the education and just information. And you know, no, there were no videos on how to power clean twenty years ago. Like maybe uh, one weird one you got from like, you know, some clinic from the nineteen eighties. Well, the uh, uh, the first time I actually got to see a video of somebody doing the Olympic lifts was actually Todd Rice. Todd Rice had these uh, had been over to the Eastern Bloc, had been to like uh, Bulgaria and Poland and Russia, uh, and had these fucking VHS videos of these sure. training at a training hall. And like I remember, they were all wearing like Olympic shoes, no socks, sweatpants, no underwear, no t-shirts, and they were all fucking smoking cigarettes. Like, yes, like like literally like like this. Like flicking it and then like snatching like 180 kilos for like a fast triple and then like walking over and then they have they were doing plyometrics <laughs> they were, doing they were uh, setting um, uh, broomsticks in in squat racks like an Ironman squat rack they were setting at different heights and then they were literally just taking like one step and then jumping over it and then they were all like like literally like like taking a cigarette putting it out and then jumping over this fucking bar that's like at chest height and uh, it was the first time I'd really ever seen anybody Olympic lift well. And I remember watching and being like, oh, this makes so much sense. Like seeing like right. in the pole and I'm like, because I'm, I'm a, like, I'm a visual learner. Like, it, like if you can show me what you want, I'm like a autistic monkey. I can fucking mimic you. And um, so seeing that, like, that was huge for me. But uh, I mean, dude, uh, my first pair of Olympic lifting shoes, I had to write a fill out a, an order form, put a check in it and send it. Yeah. And I got my Olympic lifting shoes like six weeks later. And right. I had those for 10 fucking years and carried them with me because they were so hard to get. Uh, and you just pray sure. to God that you got the right size because I know like a whole bunch of dudes ordered them and they were like trading and they're like, fuck, I don't have the right size. I got to order. Fuck it. I'll just put fucking. You know, right, right. Like, did you have, did you have the uh, Poland ones that you have to trace your foot or did you have the Pignati? I had a, um, Italian Pignatis. They look like really shitty bowling shoes. I had uh, Adidas. They were black and white Adidas with a wooden sole that had a black stripe yeah. across the top. And uh, I had those things forever. And then I finally replaced them with like the uh, the carbon fiber Adidas. And right. I still have yep. those. And I actually 2004s. bought two pairs. Yeah, I, 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 bought two, I bought two pairs and I alternate between them and I still have them to this day and I won't try any others. Right. No, I, I'm still training on my 2004 
Adidas right now. And Matt Vincent was making fun of me about it because he has these really, really spicy looking whatever he's wearing. And, you know, mine still have like blood on them and like they're all cracked up where I've thrown them against the wall when I've, you know, missed a lift and they're all crappy looking. But, you know, it's kind of like, it's kind of like going fishing, you know, on someone's boat. You don't, you don't take the rod that doesn't have a bunch of scales and blood on it, right? Like you, you, you want the one, you want the one that's this, this, you know, rips and whips, you know? I was like, yeah, I'll keep mine. I'm all right, well. Well, um, I mean, and, and there's even some hunting with that. I mean, you know, I'm, uh, there's definitely uh, some guns in my, uh, in my sure. gun collection that I are pretty nice. But like, if, if I'm going to something, I, I got to kill it. There only is like one gun I reach for, and it's actually a 300 Win Mag. So like, there I know it's overkill. Like people are like, oh, oh. 20, a 240, you know, this. I'm like, uh, 270. I'm like, uh, actually, uh, I like the 300 Win Mag. They're why it's like, yeah, it walks away from the Win Mag. Yeah, yeah, bring bring the wind mag. Yeah, I'm I'm a wind mag fan myself. Yeah, I agree. And that's the like, same with the guns. Like I want the one that has a bunch of hair and crap on it that, that you know you've you've laid it down. And I, I agree. I'm a big gun guy. We could go on a whole other podcast about that. <laughs> uh, well, yeah, let's let, let's go. Uh, uh, yeah, man, let's do this. What would be your uh, so 300 wind mag would be your favorite caliber? Uh, that's probably overall, like if I had to hunt anywhere in the world, um, 300 wind mag, I have a, uh, Remington custom shop Kevlar stock mountain rifle that I've got probably 20 years ago. Um, and uh, it's, it's like, it's killed more than smallpox, man. It's been crazy. It's great. Um, I carry one, I carry a lot. I have a Remington model seven, this little, like little kid gun mm -hmm. and it's a stainless steel. Um, I got it all accurized. It's a 708 and I could. I like that because I can stalk through the woods really well with it. I can climb and it's like, it's almost like a long pistol. Mm -hmm. And for some reason I just have really, really good, good confidence in it. And I've, I've killed jillions of things with that too. Those are my two go-tos. The wind mag, if, if, if I'm going unknown places and I got to shoot something and make it fall down, that's the one. Yeah. And for, for me, that 300 wind mag is, uh, is kind of my go-to, even though I, I recently bought this year, uh, a Browning BLR, you know, their lever action, yeah. like the takedown, sure. the 308. Cool gun. And, and, uh, I'm really, really excited about that. It's kind of a scout setup and, uh, you know, in terms of like, you know, lever action, cause California is kind of weird now where, you know, uh, like now, so I, just I know, I know dude, it's super fucking weird, but like now, like, uh, because it's featureless, I mean, it, it doesn't have a foregrip, it doesn't have a hand grip, it's lever action, uh, even though it's a box loader, it's, it's not considered a semi-auto, so it's kind of one of those things where you could probably hunt anywhere in California very easily with it, and uh, what's nice is it collapses down and fits into uh, probably about a 26-inch or even a 30-inch case, so it fits real cool. easy to travel. And, um, yeah, I ended up threading out the barrel and putting a, uh, a flash hider on it. So I've been really excited to get out to the range and start shooting with that. Yeah. I think that'd be a nice one to shoot, but yeah, that, uh, you know, I've hunted with just about everything. And for some reason that 308 to, or the, my 300 wind mag has knocked the pants out of everything. So yeah, um, I'm it's a made to do, man. Yeah, now, can you guys run uh, si run cans, uh, suppressors on your guns out there, or no? Uh, no, all my uh, NFA stuff is uh, um, out of state in a safety deposit box, and hopefully one day when we move, I'll be able to actually go collect it. So, <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, because I, you know, I've lived in other places, so I have, you know, collected certain things, and you know, I don't sure. like to stuff, so they, just, they reside in other places, and hopefully one day right. I'll bring them in. And but no, California has no suppressors, no SBRs. Uh, they got a weird deal with. Uh, uh, I think they call them uh, AOLs or AOWs, uh, where you can kind of have like this weird like SBS, where you can have kind of a short barrel shotgun kind of deal. Um, and it, it's it's kind of it, you know, my my buddy 
busted it out, and it's kind of like a not like a kind of like a tax stamp, but not really. It's it's kind of strange. He explained it to me, and I really couldn't figure it out. But oddly enough, you can't have like a judge, so uh, judges aren't legal in California because they really a shotgun uh, or you can't shoot a shotgun uh, shell out of a right. So gotcha. Yeah, just kind of wacky shit. Like California's always coming up with some weird fucking rules. I mean, every time like right. uh, uh, like. All like you know, periodically, I, I get an email from there's a deal called Calguns. Uh, that's like kind of a big proponent of, of weapons here, and they're like, you know, like Calgun sues the you know DOJ, and so they, they always and I'm on their mailing list, so I'll, I'll get updates occasionally. And when I look at like the the, the laws that they're fighting, uh, I'll read the law and I'll read it like five or six times, and I'll be like, what the fuck are they talking about? And, and uh, uh, you know, uh, we train a bunch of the law enforcement guys around here, and they're a bunch of buddies ours. So I'm always asking, we'll be like. Have you heard of this? And they're like, dude, the only people that know less about gun laws are the cops here in California. They don't know fucking anything. And these right. are like, he, he's like, dude, he's like, it's impossible to keep up. And so it's a kind of a waste of our time to even uh, do it. I mean, shit, I went through the CCW process out here and it took me, I want to say almost nine months to get my CCW here in California. And I've had CCWs in other states where it's going to get a fingerprint. You get it that fucking day. So Sure, um, sure. Well, if you're in South Carolina, so come come down. We got they they pretty much let us do anything here, which is nice. It's like us in Texas, you know. You you're riding down the road, cop pulls you over, and you're like, "Hey, I got a gun." He's like, "Well, good, you should have one." All right, well, anyway, you're speeding. Like, <laughs> well, it's kind of like if you didn't have a gun, he was probably going to arrest you or take you to a place to have a gun, right? Because uh, <laughs> he he knows something's wrong if you don't have one. Um, my buddies, uh, uh, we, uh, or I, I got invited to a charity deal a couple of years ago for uh, the Silent Warrior Foundation, and they had a, a pig hunt out in Texas, and uh, so we, we show up to it, and it's like probably about an hour outside of San Antonio, and like so, you know, we fly in, whatever, rent a car, we drive in, and so we get to the house, like pretty nice on lodge where we stand, and the lady, you know, goes, hey, you know, while, while you're waiting for everybody, uh, if you guys want to go out and sight your rifles and just confirm zero, uh, you know, the bench is over there, there's shots that you kind of points us over there and said, you know, you can go out there and, uh, you know, shoot out. I think we got 50 and 100 set up. And uh, we're like, great. So we go out there and we're kind of, you know, everybody's kind of getting dialed up and we're kind of looking around and, you know, make sure we range it, make sure it's legit. And uh, she comes out and brings us like a whole bunch of beers. And uh, I'm like sitting out there on these uh, two benches. And the benches, mind you, are about 10 feet from the road. So cars are driving by. And where the uh, targets were was, you know, kind of off at probably about, you know, 45, 30 degree angle this way. And there's houses on the left and the right. So we're basically shooting between two houses uh, on a <laughs> table uh, where, like, right near the road, and we're set up, and we're out there drinking beers. And um, Just trying to imagine that happened in Newport Beach. Uh, no cops, no helicopters, no National Guard. And literally, we right. were out there shooting guns, just, you know, out there shooting, drink, drinking beers, and people driving by honking and waving. And I, I really start laughing, thinking, if this was in Orange County, L.A., Newport Beach, California, right now, the SWAT. National Guard SWAT would be fucking out oh. of the course. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, most of the stuff we've done. I, Vincent came down. Matzo came down. And I don't know if you saw his video. Matzo? With, yeah, Matzo. Yeah. <laughs> and, and he came down, and we, we went out and shoot. And we, we had this, this can shooter thing. It, it goes on the end of an AR, and it fires out full beers uh, about 100 yards out. So we were shooting those. We were drinking them and then shooting them out and then shooting them out of the air with shotguns. Mm. And then, of course, like you look and you're like, wow, this is, <laughs> this is awesome. It's America. And then some places you'd get put in jail forever. And then other places, cops are like, hey, cool. You're shooting a bunch. Can I try that too? Like, yeah, of course. It's weird. No one, no one gets hurt <laughs> when you do that stuff. 
Well, the, uh, it, was, it was wild. We were uh, down in Texas and uh, Jeff Gonzalez, who's a, a good friend of ours, he has a Triton Concepts and he's a, a former SEAL team um, guy and uh, just, you know, super great guy in terms of like training and travels all around the country, sure. and, you know, does a bunch of weapon stuff. And, uh, you know, he's uh, like, you know, comes to pick us up, comes to our seminar. And so we go get in his truck and uh, he's like, oh, dude, check this out. And um, this is the first time I've really ever heard about truck guns. Like there's this whole deal right. just this a thing. <laughs> where like people literally go out and they build a gun specifically for their truck. And it's usually some little nasty SBR with like a seven inch barrel and just like something that you could like reach in the back and like maneuver while you're driving. And so he like busts <laughs> out like nasty little like seven and a half inch barrel piston LWRC SBR that like was like looking at it you probably would have just gone to jail in california for fucking ever and like he busts me out i'm like that thing is fucking awesome he's like oh yeah it's a truck gun. and i'm like oh, oh, oh what he's like it's it's called a truck gun in, in texas uh everybody has a truck gun like and he's like it's a it's an entire it, it's a deal it's like it's like uh yeah. like custom cowboy boots like you gotta have a truck gun and uh um, yeah. so he was taking us through it i'm like he's like oh yeah everybody has them he's like it's like a an accessory. I mean, and this thing—it's yeah, has- like a handkerchief, a good knife, yeah. and a truck gun. Yeah, yeah. He busted this thing out. I was like, God damn it, that thing is nasty. So, <laughs> yeah, that was uh, so. Yeah, every, like every then I'm like, I'm gonna move to Texas for the mere fact that we can sight rifles and have uh, like uh, basically parking cricket of uh, of guns. Remember? <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, the um, you know what? And, and it's 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 kind of weird here in California. I think. Uh, they over legislate things so much that it, it almost like creates a hysteria with it where, sure, you know, like, a, like, you know, you grow up in a, in a way, like you grow up around weapons and they, you know, like, Hey, you go hunt, you do this. And it's, it's not really a big deal. And I think like when you start creating this, like, you know, demonizing, a, a you know, image around them, like it, people become fucking strangely obsessive and weird about them. And, yeah. uh, mm-hmm. Yeah, it's the same. worst. The worst thing is when when guys from the northeast come down and they're like, "Can can we like go fire guns?" I'm like, uh, "You mean like go shoot?" Uh, sure. <laughs> and their guys are like psychos. They grab. They're like, "This is amazing!" And they're like, bang, bang, bang. I'm like, "Whoa, whoa, whoa!" You know, muscle control, man. And like, it's so funny because they can't get them. They just go crazy. I mean, like you just you you see this hysteria, like you're saying, because this this uh, this Pandora's box and this thing that they the taboo. It's like, dude, just grow up around them. It's fine. Like, you don't. <laughs> it's I, I like them, but you know, they're they're a tool. They're good to have. It, it, I just want to shift gears here real quick because, Bert, I, I know you're short on time. Tell me what John and I are missing here with the Summer Strong deal. <laughs> okay, sorry. I know we get went into gun gun realm. Um, Summer Strong. All right, here's the deal. So this coming, not this weekend, but next May 2021, 20, 22. It's our ninth year doing it. It's it basically started as my dad's birthday party nine years ago. He said, I was like, Hey Pops, what do you want for your birthday? He's like, I don't know, just invite a bunch of dudes over, we'll train, we'll we'll cook some food, we'll uh we'll drink some beers and open up the gym and just let's have some fun. Well, that first year, I think we had five different states, thirty or forty people showed up and it was it was awesome. Just all these people come jumping in. So the next year we said, Well crap, let's do it again, let's do it again. Well, this year, um, we, we've tried. We've started making it more and more official, as much as you want to say that. This year, we're having four or five different countries of people, uh, people from all over the country are coming. And I start bringing in the, the premise of it is 
because of Sorenex and because of the Iron Game lifestyle, I could I could contact really really awesome people, much like yourselves. I could I could I could get in and and get to be friends and at least learn from some amazing extraordinary people. Whether it be generally the Iron Game, it could be the hunting industry, the the uh, music industry, whatever. And so it's it's my time. It's morphed into this thing where it's my time every year to pull my favorite people from all over the country and all over the world and all the relationships I've had over the years. And we basically have one big fat, happy family reunion and bring new people into the fold that may not know people. And, and, and it, you kind of, I said, well, I, you know, this guy's really good at Olympic lifting. This guy's really good at powerlifting. This guy's really good at nutrition. This guy's NFL. This guy's, you know, MMA, this one, it's cross. And you pull it, put everyone in the same room. You shake up the room and just see what happens. So it's it's really loose, and what has kind of started coming is a little bit of the the who's who and the of the underground who kind of really runs the strength world. Um, some you know some big names of are, are starting to to really flock to it, and just it it's an event we don't look to make cash on. We try to cover our costs. I still go tens of thousands of dollars into the hole every year on it, um, but it's basically it's our opportunity to give back. And to pull these people that might usually charge thousands of dollars a day, they'll show up and give freely for an hour their information because they see the value that they get to sit in the, the audience for the next few hours and learn from other best and, and greatest in the sport. So it's a time for the, the, the high ups to actually sharpen their sword too. So it's a really cool event. It's my favorite weekend of the year. I'd love for you guys to come. I would be honored. And anyone listening, I'd love for you guys to come hang out with us. Yeah, so I'm, I'm poking around the summerstrongexpo.com, and we're just on the old Hall of Fame. And uh, it's a pretty cool list of characters you have out there, man. Yeah. There's a few of them that have, uh, that have, that have come to be pretty solid, I have to say. Yeah, oh, that's be- great. Yeah, I'll be making, making my, my way down there from D.C., and I find it interesting. I just – go to two or three conferences a year for all these uh, certifications just to keep them up. And this is probably the only one I'm actually going to sit on every single lecture instead of yeah. just CEUs. Yeah. You, you can't miss anything because it, it's been nice the last couple of years, the NSCA and the CSCCA has actually stepped up and given us CEUs for it. But the cool part is, is because we're not affiliated officially with anybody. It doesn't, we don't have to necessarily scratch anyone's back. Um, and so everything is very raw, very real. Um, I would say no less than three or four presentations. There'll be waterworks. Someone's going to start crying. Someone's going to start feeling something. And, uh, and, and everyone just opens up their heart. It's, it's really amazing that you see these people that are, you know, the top of their game and they're just getting up like, you know, last year, Brandon Lilly, it was, it was fantastic. He showed up on crutches uh, with the pick still in his arm, giving him antibiotics, and he got up there and says, "Well, hey, I was gonna, I was gonna talk about uh, about deadlifting, but f that, not doing it. Here's the deal." And just basically poured his heart out for an hour about the strength game, what it's meant to him, what it hasn't meant to him, where he screwed up in his life chasing the rabbit, where things he thought he should have done better, places where he put lifting in front of his family and like there's these grown men strength coaches and they're just bawling like kids listen to this and it was completely unscripted and everyone just kind of stood up after that and went like what the hell just happened you know and that it was happening every few hours someone would go okay well cool you're gonna you're gonna put your balls on the table 
and open up your heart and your, your guts. All right, I'll do it too. And uh, the stuff that people were able to talk about and experience was, was just second to none. So, you know, will it be like that this year? I don't know. It seems like it's stuff like that happens every year. I mean, two years ago, we had some, uh, some Navy SEALs and some Marsoc guys waterboard one of my employees. It was fantastic. Yeah. I like it. Fuck, man. I'm sad that we are doing this podcast now. I mean, I got to go this weekend to Virginia Beach, and you know, my wife would kick my ass to leave twice. But fuck, man, I'd definitely like to. Uh, <laughs> oh, I don't, I'll, I'll, I'd like to get on your radar for next year. Yeah, Summer Strong sure. Ten. Ten's the one. Summer Strong. Summer Strong Ten's gonna be sick. I, I, we've already we've already kind of figured out the uh, how that's gonna work. The old Bosco family reunion and strength revival. We want to do it like the old uh, like the old tents back in the back in the deep south. Strength revival. Yeah, count us in, dude. I'll definitely try. Yeah, I'll, I'll be there next year. So, yeah. That'd be awesome. This year, to have you. I'll definitely be there. I, uh, you know, so. No, that's I'm going to have Tex doing some scouting for you this year. Yeah, well, you know, uh, uh, Tex is pretty good. I always tell him, go name drop me like a motherfucker, and I'm glad that you do, Tex. Tex is like, don't worry, <laughs> I drop that bitch like fucking like, mic drop. Oh, well, uh, he, he, he hammered it in Texas for you, man. He yeah, I'm it. only 5'8", so I'm not much to look at at all these conventions, but I, I dropped the name Wellborn, and then I get pierced. <laughs> and they'll be like, that motherfucker? I never liked that fucking asshole. <laughs> you hit that one person. Oh, yeah, he's like, oh, right. oh, yeah, no, 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 no. I like like the uh, the funny part was somebody shot me an email the other day, and the uh, uh, I can't remember his name. His name's Brent. Uh, he was our assistant in Kansas City, and I want to say he's at – the Vikings right now and they were like singing this dude's praise and like they sent me over this guy's doing all this great stuff and I like looked and I was like fuck I think I used to make I used to fuck with that kid nonstop." and like <laughs> I was trying to like remember and I like I, I texted with my buddies like oh yeah we used to totally fuck with that dude and he was our like the lowly assistant that had to like show up and do all the stupid shit so it's always funny to see how like people grow into who they are and yeah, you know sure. but, like, it's like Get you know, the game. Well, it's like Cass. I mean Cass was our assistant and I always loved Cass. Cass was a uh, fucking cool cat. I mean, we'd like see him like Cass, what are you doing? And he's like, Oh I don't like, come on, Alan. we'll take you out to dinner. So we used to always like hang out with Cass. And then like the funny part was when I went out to Baylor and I see him, he was like telling these guys, he's like, When I was a lowly piece of shit assistant in the NFL and nobody fucking did this. Like, um, these guys would buy me dinner and fucking, you know, <laughs> kick me some cash for a, a Christmas present and take care of me and, like, talk to me about, like, you know, how to work with guys and how to, like, you know, like, let me give you a little hint on this. And uh, now Kaz has really grown into probably one of the best strength coaches out there and sure. producing kids left and right at Baylor. So it's pretty funny. Yeah, he's so amazing. Did, yeah. I mean, and it's, uh, you know, what's cool is to see guys – uh, you know, really grow in the process and then see who they've come into. And like, you know, mentally you don't really, at least for me, time is kind of goes fast. So I'm like, fuck, how long has it been? Jesus Christ. Yeah. Okay, you know, seven, eight years ago. So it's cool to see where he's at and then to see him commanding that whole deal. So it was pretty, I'm always pumped, pumped to see where these guys go. Well, it's a great show, man. Yeah, I, know, I know we jumped all over the place, but I enjoyed yeah. that. No, it's a great dude. Uh, we got to talk about movies. We got to talk about food. We got to talk about fucking lifting weights. Yeah. We talk about guns, and we got to talk about college. And cities. And Summer Strong. And the, the the beef quake of the ball. You know, the Summer Strong. How many beefy dudes? <laughs> uh, there'll be a lot of meaty dudes. Uh, a lot of meaty um, dudes uh, pouring their hearts out. Just fucking, you know, it's kind of like the real world of strength. When things stop, right. pretending. Right. And then we, we do have call-outs. We have a one hour that, that is open gym call-outs. And so all bets are settled and all shit-talking settled for the whole year in one hour. The strength. Exactly. It's like Mandelbaum. It's like right there. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's right. It's like, oh, yeah? 
and then it's just on. And you, you basically get challenged in front of hundreds of people, and you just have to man up right now. It's great. Uh, you're like, I'm going to look like a bitch right here, but fucking bring it anyway. Let's do it. <laughs> you got to do it, man. <laughs> now, we'd love to have you guys there next year for sure. And, and if for some reason that uh, you could go to Virginia Beach and then can, can uh, convince your wife that you need to stick around for another extra seven days. Oh, fuck. <laughs> she, uh, you know, it, it's pretty funny. My, my wife's a, a wonderful person. And so, um, and I say that for the me and my heart, she is a fucking saint. Uh, and, but uh, I, like, I remember I was like, uh, we got like 40 or 50 heads in Virginia Beach. I think I got to travel for this one. And she like, her eyes got kind of big and she's like, really? I'm like, yeah. She's like, oh, okay. I'm like, you know, cause uh, you know, the little guy just started sleeping and everything. And he's still having a rough deal of it. So, and the girls. And so I, I think it's not necessarily that my wife wants me around. She I just think somebody. she needs somebody. Right. Um, so right. I'm, I'm pretty sure that if I could just like contract somebody that kind of like, uh, actually what I think I could do is if I just got like a big picture of myself, like one of those like cardboard cutouts. Yeah. And we just kind of like glued it on somebody. Like she wouldn't even notice. My and it just had like care. a tape recorder that every thirty minutes said, "Hey, <laughs> hey, hey, quit watching around." Me. Jesus, get over here! Fuck. Uh, Go is, to bed. Yeah, that's it. That, yeah, that's, you, you've been to the house. So yeah, the uh, nice. I gotta fucking come in here again. No more Doc McStuffins. That's like my threat. They're like, yeah. like you're a terrorist. Yeah, yeah, you're a terrible person. You're not gonna let us watch Doc McStuffins. I'm like, are you okay? So then I have to go out and like see what shows they're watching, and then I have to threaten to take those shows away because they'll be like, "We don't even watch that show anymore." I'll be like, Fuck, what show do they watch now? Yeah, she doesn't like Dora anymore. Who doesn't like Dora? Come on. Oh, dude, no, it was like uh, we were watching Doc McStuffins, and now they've been watching uh, uh, the Star Wars Rebel. There's like a oh, uh, there's new Star yeah, Wars. They're, they're all Star Wars now. They they love that. My daughter, nice. just, yeah, she's all about Star Wars. Whereas my my one daughter is. Uh, We'll sit in front of the TV for hours with like her mouth open. I'm pretty sure flies would land in there. And then when my other daughter gets bored within like two minutes and like wants to go fucking cut paper into a million little pieces, I'll literally find hundreds of little pieces of paper all over the house from her cutting paper into little pieces. Nice. Nice. Well, my, my kid watches dinosaurs and then it was like the, like the real kind of videos that look somewhat real. And then he sees the raptors attack the other dinosaurs and tear their guts out. So then he chases me through the house and, and literally bites my legs, trying to tear my skin off my legs because he wants to be a raptor, which is pretty awesome. You got to keep that aggression up there. So I don't really, you know, I don't really fight him on that. Great. I mean, that's how they should be raised. I mean, you know, <laughs> ready to that, rip the flesh off the bone. Yeah. I mean, like the only thing other is like we, we have two dogs. And so my two pit bulls play with the kids and like watching the dogs out and the, and the kids fight outside for like toys is fucking one of the most joyous occasions of my life. I'm like, Oh, Shit, the dog got a hold of their toy, and they're out there like screaming and chasing them. It's fucking great. Fighting them, like I'm like, don't don't those pit bulls push you around? And then they, uh, we we have a trampoline, and so the kids will jump in the trampoline, and the dogs jump up and get in the trampoline and chase them and bite them. And Perfect. Screaming, it's pretty hilarious. And my wife and I get like a lot of hours. They'll be like, Vinny, Louie, get out of here! And they like kick them out and like yank them by the ears. And I'm like, oh, this fucking neighbors probably think like I'm like white trash or something. So, <laughs> well, I, I got I got a bunch of shitty old diesel trucks. I got uh, uh kids and dogs and pit bulls, and it's good. Perfect. You're from South Carolina. I know exactly. I got enough crappy diesel trucks. <laughs> so, hey, Bert, before we pop off here, do you have anything you want people to check out at Sorenex? Like, what's popping up? What, what do people need to buy? Got any deals? Oh man. Well, the center mass bells, uh, I mean, I think they're, they're kind of changing how people are viewing dumbbells, kettlebells, stuff like that. That's been hot for us. Um, 
exciting. Uh, just just get basically more acquainted with, we don't always do the super, super, super high-end awesome stuff. That's what we show a lot of, but I think people need to realize they could also have bitching equipment in their house if they want it and uh, it just won't break the bank. We just don't really show that stuff because honestly, it's not fun to, it's fun to see. You know? Yeah, sure, sure. But, All right, well, uh, yeah, that's the sort of stuff, man. Just check us out, and, and you can check us out on Facebook, Instagram, all those fun things. And um, just love to have smart people that are passionate about the Iron Game go come out and chat, chat with us. And uh, if you want some gear, cool, we got that too. Beautiful, man. Hey, thanks for taking the time. I was, I'm, again, glad we could finally get the time going today. So it's awesome. Yeah, man, I really, really enjoyed this. We need to do it more, whether it's on camera or not, or definitely with gear stuff. Yes. Yes. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah, for sure. Yeah, yeah. Count on that. All right, Perfect. Take care, buddy. Yeah, thank thanks, you. Thanks, guys. Hey, brother. See ya. I'll see you yeah. down there in about a week. Later. Yes, sir. Now it's time for you to empower your performance. You heard it. The Soar Next Summer Strong Expo is literally happening now. If you're in or around Columbia, South Carolina and listening to this, get your ass to the event ASAP. The great minds and bodies of strength and performance are coming together to impart their knowledge on you. Head to summerstrongexpo.com for more information on the event, guests, and local accommodations. Don't forget to follow Soar Next on Instagram at Soar Next. Until next time, bye!